Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you, depending on whether you're watching this on YouTube or Vimeo, or you're listening to the audio podcast version on one of the major podcast channels. It's me by birth, Alex William Smith, better known to many of you these days as Jonathan Royal, hypnotist, the so-called British bad boy of hypnosis, and we're here for another edition of Hypnosis Week, and I'm excited to have a guest joining me all the way from the United States of America, a gentleman who... He could kill me afterwards, because to be honest, well, no, I've just said gentleman at the minute, so that's okay. Um, yes. But I'm, I'm probably going to slip up and say, he. I've not checked on pronouns. We're living a, we live in a world <laughs> these days where I could upset people. If I do inadvertently, I apologise. But a gentleman who has got a long and rich history in show business, um, everything from magic, music, as in playing instruments as well as singing, acting, he's got a background in training animals, you name it, there's going to be some twists and turns uh, in this interview. And one thing we have, um, well, we have a few things in common, actually, but one that stands out, which we're going to talk about a fair bit, is um, doing a hypnosis show in drag drag queen hypnosis so please welcome to the show you see on the side of me depending on which way the videos decided to put it all the way from the usa steve daly aka bonnie bitch aka tiny bubbles welcome to the show steve hello 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 how you doing i'm doing good look let's cut to the chase a lot okay. of people viewers and listeners will know who you are already whether it's through uh you work as a drag queen hypnotist uh, on appearing uh, in drag, or, which I want you to talk about later on shows with Chris Angel on TV, or whether it's from the magic side of things and the fact that, you know, more recently you're one of the organisers of the Abracorn, I can never pronounce it right, Abracorn Abra. Um, Abracorn Debra, uh-huh. That's it, um, magic convention over there in the States. But there will be some people who certainly maybe in England may not have heard of you. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> tell us a little bit about, well, no, a lot about yourself if you want, because there's a heck of a lot to tell. How you got to where you are now? Because there was a time when Steve Daly wasn't a magician, wasn't a hypnotist, wasn't a drag queen, wasn't a comedian, a singer, a musician, an animal trainer. How the hell did you end up on this crazy journey? Exactly. That's what I ask myself that all the time. Uh, I, I was born and raised on uh, family farms in Iowa and Missouri. Uh, very small farm. Well, not small farms, uh, small towns. Uh, Mercer, Missouri, when I went to uh, elementary school, there was only four of us in my class. Uh, three boys and one girl. Prom would have been hell on that poor little girl, let me tell you. Uh, with us all, you know, taking turns dancing. and mm. uh, So... Uh, we, uh, uh, my parents moved me up to the family farm in Iowa and, uh, I ended up graduating with a class of over 1400, uh, in my graduating class because it's five farm communities all put together into one high school. Uh, we had 220 acres down in Missouri. We had 18 acres up here in Iowa and, uh, I spent my whole childhood farming and, uh, doing that type of thing and all. I love magic, uh, belong to the local magic club. And uh, every year, the Magic Club would, uh, in May, have a magic convention called Magic Mania. And uh, I would go. I'd save up all my my uh, money from working the fields, uh, doing walking beans and detasseling corn and things like that all summer. 
and uh, just for this convention in May. And uh, they had the convention for 81 years. After 81 years, attendance dropped. They went from a three-day convention to a two-day convention to a one-day convention. And finally, they uh, uh, finally in uh, 20, what was it, 2010, uh, they said that was our last convention. They only had 24 people attend the convention. And uh, yeah, out of the 24, and in fact, is the club president didn't even come. Uh, for this one day convention, it was sixty dollars come this one day convention, and uh, I asked him, I asked them why he wasn't there, and uh, and I had flown in from Las Vegas just to go to this convention, and just to support him, and uh, they said, well, he couldn't afford it, and I said, it, it wasn't like they called him Thursday and went, oh, by the way, Saturday there's a convention. He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't afford it. Sorry, sixty bucks, uh, and he helped put the thing together. So they said they couldn't afford to do the convention anymore. Half of the twenty four were kids age twenty and younger. And I got very upset that they weren't going to run the convention anymore uh, because I thought that's how I got my start was this encouragement each year of going to this convention. So I picked up the gloves. I had never produced a convention in my life. And 2011, we did our first Abra Corn Dabra. I was known for corn. That's why we call it Abra Corn Dabra. Very dear friend of mine, Ben Eulen, uh, was the one that came up with that name for us and all, Abra Corn yeah. Dabra. When you, when you say you were known for corn, do you mean because of the farming link or because of the term corn as in comedy? Nope. Corn is in uh, Iowa, and that's what we raise is corn. Uh, okay, right. Okay. Iowa, Iowa's very well known for uh, that's our big produce, that and pigs. So, and Abra Pig Dabra just didn't sound right. So, <laughs> Abra Corn Dabra, I think, is the right way to go. But uh, so we ended up doing that. I put the convention into a uh, resort hotel again. Uh, we uh, did, I made a three day convention, called my friends in Vegas, and brought them in. And we had 81 people show up to the convention at $99 a person and get it started. I lost $5,000 that year doing it. Uh, each year, I uh, keep adding to it, keep trying to build it up, make it really unique and different. And so far, I'm in the hole $132,000 uh, that I've lost each year producing it and all. I tried uh, adding a that's clown. That's, that, that's commitment and passion. That, that's really oh, yeah. um, putting something back. Wow. I, I was very blessed to have a, a very lucrative career in Las Vegas at the time, so I could take the money that I was making in Vegas and throw it into this. No, I could have bought a house, but no, I <laughs> did this and all to keep it going. Uh, I did try and add a clown convention to the convention. So we were going to do clown convention on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then um, the magic convention, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'd overlap so that they could share the dealer's room and the big public gala show would be clowns and magicians to the public. And uh, that failed miserably. Uh, the next year we did puppet corn, uh, the first one was uh, the Clown Cornvention, and then uh, the next year we did Puppet Corn. I did all puppeteers, and I thought, okay, we'll have a big puppet convention, so we'll go back and forth. We'll do clowns one year and puppets the other year, but every year we'll have the magic convention. And uh, so I brought in all these top puppeteers, including the man who uh, brought Big Bird to life and Oscar the Grouch on Sesame Street. We had marionette artists. We had all sorts of puppeteers from all over the country, and uh, I only sold one registration. Oh, one no. registration. Yes, I uh, that that year I lost over twenty five thousand uh, dollars just paying everybody. Because uh, I'm I'm a man of my word, and if I tell if I hire you, you're going to get paid. Your the hotel's paid for, your travels paid for, everything's taken care of. So uh, I lost a lot with that one. So I went okay, no puppets. <laughs> Go back to clowns, and uh, the clowns. I ended up uh, the first year I did the clown convention, we had sixty four people come, and the second year, the which was the third year long. That we did the uh, clown conventional, I had 42 
clowns come. And I went, okay, we're going down. I'm losing more money. No more, no more clowns, no more puppets. We're going to stick with magic. And uh, we limited to 200 people that comes to our convention. Uh, and just because I don't want everyone to be a number, I don't want everyone to be jam packed in like a sardine. Uh, we're not trying to be Blackpool. We're not yeah. trying to be magic live. You know, we're not trying to get that 4,000 or 1,600 people and all. We're 200 people. That's it. And uh, the last three years, we've been sold out every single year. So we've actually turned people away at the door. So it's it's Excellent. turned out to be a really good thing. You know? And people have thanked me because they've been able to have a chance to sit and talk for a couple, three hours, one-on-one with like Eugene Berger, Johnny Thompson, and Pam. Uh, a lot of people who've passed on now and all were friends of mine. They I brought them in and people were able to spend time with them and all. So it was really a nice thing magic-wise and all for the magicians. And it's just built up each year. So that's yeah. Epicorn Dabra. It's a, it's a, it, sounds, uh, it sounds absolutely bloody amazing. and It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. You're obviously lucky to have built up these friendships and contacts over the yeah. years to be able to get them to such an event because, you know, Blackpool try and do things like that. And obviously they're having to pay out bloody tens of thousands of pounds on transportation and whatnot. Oh, I think we've had a slight freeze on Steve. Steve has frozen. Oh, there you go. Now you're in frozen. All right, Alan, freeze too. Ah, Your internet is unstable. Oh, now it's stable. Your, your, your internet's going in and out, is it? Now Steve's frozen again. You're frozen again. Okay, now you're out of it. Now you're out of it. Now I can see you again. Yep. There we go. Good. I don't know what's happening there. I seem to have strong connection here. Okay. Well, I've got finger- all my bars on mine. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yep. So, we're running with yes. Speaking of yeah. Blackpool, I got to tell you, I uh, uh, came this close to getting to go to Blackpool uh, in 2000, 2007, I believe it was. Yeah, 2007. I uh, I, I was uh, uh, brought over to your country for a month to film um, uh, my life story documentary for Channel 4. Uh, and uh, we filmed all over London, Ipswich. Blackpool. Uh, Blackpool was our last day, and I asked them if we could bump it to February uh, in our filming schedule, and because I knew that the convention was going on, and I always wanted to go to Blackpool, and uh, we they we got there. We, we drove from London all the way up, which is a heck of a drive, and uh, we got up there and got into a hotel. I saw people milling around in the lobby that were magicians, and I wanted so bad to just sit and talk to him and all, but it was like two o'clock in the morning and we had, I had a call time of six 30. So I was like, okay, I've got to get to bed. Cause I've got to film all day and mm-hmm. uh, got up and I was there six 30. Now we went out and was filming in front of the winter garden. And I knew the convention was right through up those little steps and through that door was the, the convention. And uh, so we filmed and I says, okay, if, if, can we take like 30 minutes? Let me run in here. I just want to take, and they said, oh, no, no, tiny, tiny, come on. We, we have to go. We have to go. We have to go. And I said, no, 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 just, just let me, let me just open the door and look in. I, no, 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 no. We had, I didn't even, they didn't let me open the door and look in. 
And so I had to walk away. So I was that close to Blackpool. A bit short-sighted on their part. Surely that would have made for some good footage. Yeah, I didn't get to. I didn't get to get, go to the convention at all. And we just filmed, and that was our last day. We wrapped, and I, I was put into a car that night. It rained, and we drove. The lady that was driving, I swear, was going 140 miles an hour. That's what it felt like, and all. And it was just straight down, then and all. And uh, we got me to the airport, and I flew back home. So didn't get to see yeah. Blackpool, unfortunately. But I did get to see a lot of your country. I got to tell you, I love your country. I got to work at uh, the uh, Magic Circle in London. I got to uh-huh. perform there. Uh, I did the female impersonation act there and all with uh, Mandy Davis and uh, Ali Bongo. Uh, had dinner with Ali many times, uh, him and, uh, oh, <sighs> I knew I, I'd forget names. Uh, Mandy Davis was just a sweetheart. And uh, there was, uh, oh, you know her, Royce. Um, hey. Yes, thank you. Pay yes, pay, pay presto. Yeah. yeah, she was a sweetheart too, and all. And, uh, but I, I ended up. <laughs> I remember. I'll never forget it. I'm sitting at the table. I've got Faye. I've got Mandy Davis, and I've got Ollie Bongo. And Ollie, God bless him, he was very much a very stickler that women were assistants and men were magicians, and that was just that was how it said. Yeah. Yes. And so, and the girls were calling him out on it, and he was. And then they all looked at me and said, so, Tiny, what do you think? And I was like, well, this pizza is really good, isn't it? (laughs) So it was was an interesting dinner, that's for sure. That's a slightly bizarrely interesting spot to be bought in, especially given the fact that you were there and you you were doing the drag drag performance. Exactly, exactly. Um, Bit of a exactly uh, paradoxical, you know what? I mean, I met I met Ali Bongo numerous times when when he was alive, and had the pleasure of seeing him at lectures and talking to him and yeah. and stuff. And <laughs> I don't yeah. think he was quite as much of a stickler as he might have made out. He he made it pretty. I, I think that at the time they weren't, or they were, had just allowed women to be members of the Magic Circle. Uh, what did that well, mean about that, that time? could be what 2007. Um, yeah, roughly when I'm, I'm just gonna google it because my memory sure, is terrible. Sure. When did Magic Circle allow women to join? Uh, oh, 1990, seriously. 1991, yeah. would you believe? Oh, okay. Well, it had been a while then and all, so yeah. I don't know. It, uh, it, the way they talked, it sounded like it had just kind of been allowed and all. Maybe, maybe I don't know, isn't Faye on the board or something like that, or isn't she one of the mucky mucks? Because she's done a hell of a lot to help the circle in many, yeah, sure many she ways. Has. With, sure she has. With often very little thanks. Um, yep. It's... Yep. it's, it's yeah, it's, it's not I'm a my... huge, I'm a huge fan of Faze and all. In fact, is at one of the dinners, she did the signed card and bottle for me, and I still have yeah. that bottle. I had her sign the bottle for me, and it's on my shelf, and I just I absolutely love it. So, well, let's yeah, face it, watching Faze, a master class in controlling an audience. <laughs> yes, very um, much, very much. And she's so much fun anyway and all. And so is Mandy Davis. Mandy Davis is good, too, and all. So, so it was, a, it was, I really, again, I really enjoyed your country an awful lot. And, in fact, is well, I... Uh, cool. 
it's one of those things. At least once in a lifetime, you've got to you've got to get yourself there. I'm, now, I'm even better if you can get yourself up. booked and paid to be there. That'd be even that, better. That'd be it? even better, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I remember that I, I uh, is it Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights? There's one night of the week somewhere south of London, probably about an hour on the train or 45 minutes. There's the I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Is it the Horoscope Club or the the Zodiac Zodiac Club? Zodiac Magic Club? Zodiac Magic Magic Society. There you go. That's it. And all. Yeah. And I, I had the pleasure because they met every week, and okay. I I got the pleasure of getting to go down and and sit with those folks for a couple three different meetings and all. And I while I was there, and I it blew me away. The Magic Clubs are so strong in england i was like wow that's you know in america if we have four or five people show up hey you're doing good you know so well to be honest i mean fortunately i believe i'm i'm not i'm not in the circle actually i'm i don't know i don't know if i'm officially banned or not but i do know that i was booked (laughs) i was booked for a lecture there a few years ago uh hypnosis and mentalism lecture and it ultimately got cancelled and I still got paid in full because I was contracted. Yeah. And there were rumors galore pushed around by certain individuals that were defamatory and nonsense. And I won't get into that. But the point is, I t- fortunately, I believe for their sake that it's still busy and popular. A lot of magic clubs in England, law, are like anything, they're suffering because of the internet and the pandemic. Yep. And it's same here in America, same in America. Same it's thing. Sad, 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 sad. So magic's been a big, 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 big part of the mix. Magic is what got me part. started, admittedly. Magic's what got me started. Uh, being raised on the farm, I guess I need to go back to flipping through real quickly my mm. background. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, so right. magic magic was a big part for it and all. I, uh, being on the farm here, I uh, uh, we had cows, we had pigs, we had chickens, you know, ducks. We had all these different animals. And uh, when I became a, uh, uh, when I was 15, going on 16, I uh, had developed earlier in my schooling, I had uh, developed a a love for art. I loved doing drawings and paintings, that type of thing and all. And I really fell in love with Mad Magazine. And uh, Mad Magazine was like, oh, I loved it and all. I couldn't get enough reading them and so forth and all. And I would sit and work trying to copy their style. Uh, I found that they had a uh, an apprentice program going on in New York City. And so when I was 16, I went to New York City for the two and a half months. And I was an apprentice to Don Martin and Sergio. Sergio does uh, Spy versus Spy uh, in the magazine's cartoons. And I developed my own mad style and uh, came back. And uh, at 16, they opened up a new amusement park three miles from our farmhouse here called Adventureland Park. Right. And uh, I was hired as the head resident artist in the park. I was their first caricature artist. And so I would do caricatures at $2 a caricature. My pay was I got a dollar for each caricature or a guarantee of $2 an hour. This is back in 19... And <laughs> way back. And uh, uh, I, I did very well. I made very good money as a caricature artist doing caricatures at this park. I worked out there for almost three years, uh, got fired from the park. Uh, The reason was because the park owner, it was my third year, the park owner called me into his office and he said, well, listen, I need to have you start coming in more often. 
I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, I need you here from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. seven days a week, all summer long. And I went, I, I'm not one of your wooden roller coasters. You know, I, I, I'm a human being. I can't sit in the rain with paper and markers and do caricatures. It just is silly. And he says, well, and I says, well, I hate to do it, but I'll point out in our contract, line three says that I can make my own hours between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. all summer long. So sorry, but that's how I'm going to do it. 24 hours later, I get a call from uh, the park secretary and she says, the owner wants to see you. I went in his office and there was another gentleman there. He introduced him. He was the park's attorney. And the park's attorney says, yesterday had a meeting with the park owner here. And he uh, said that you pointed out line three of your contract. We'd like to point out line seven of your contract that says that we can fire you and not give you any reason, give you 24 hours notice. And uh, the park owner says, so it's three o'clock in the afternoon. You have 24 hours tomorrow at three o'clock. You're no longer employed here. He says, off the record, we both know why. On the record, there's no reason. So I lost my job as a caricature artist and all. Uh, what a, me. Well, excuse the language. What a set of yeah. bastards. Yes, yes. So, uh, uh, so well, I had my way of getting even, that's for sure. Uh, we uh, The park paid for all of the markers and all of the pads of paper. And we would buy huge cases of it and kept it in his office in a closet. And uh, so knowing that and knowing that he goes to lunch every day from 12 to 1 o'clock, the next day I was still employed. And at 12 noon, I pulled my car right up to his office, went in, saw the secretary. And she says, hey, Steve. And I say, how are you doing? Listen, we're moving all the pens and papers to another location. And she goes, oh, okay. I went in. I took and loaded up my car with all these pads of paper and all these boxes of markers. And... Uh, took my uniform, put it in a brown paper sack, gave it to her with my badge. And I said, make sure you give that to the owner. I'll, uh, I'll see you later. And I walked out the door, got in the car and took off. And I had all these paper and pins for the next five years. I did caricatures every winter, every Christmas time in a shopping mall. Didn't cost me a dime. I had all the markers and all the papers, pure profit. So it, it turned out to be a good deal for me. That's for sure. But, uh, well, at yeah. least there was some karmic balance there. But... Yes, exactly. I was like, you know, all right, well, that's how I get even then with that and all. But so uh, at the during that time, I was going to school uh, at uh, Drake University here in Des Moines uh, to be an art teacher, and uh, I had accidentally one morning tripped on a metal easel, hit one of my elderly female teachers on the head. Uh, she. I says, oh, let me get you to the hospital. I'm so sorry. And she says, no, I'm going to go to my office or my rub lotion on this. She says, just stay away from me. And uh, from that point on, she wouldn't teach me anything. Uh, anytime that I would put up a painting, she would take it over and throw it in the garbage and she'd look at everybody else's. And and uh, I got called into the dean's office. Oh, also, after one another class, I was doing a caricature uh, greeting card. It was a get well card for a friend of mine whose sister was in the hospital teacher come up and he says, what's that? And I says, well, I'm making a greeting card. I'm a caricature artist. And he says, cartooning is not an art form. And I says, cartooning is not an art form. I says, well, you got, you got a problem with Walt Disney because I'm telling you, cartooning is an art form. And he says, no, not, not, not here. And uh, so I got called into the Dean's office and the Dean said, uh, listen, he says, uh, uh, you're, you're trying to kill one of our teachers who happens to be my grandmother. And uh, you, yeah. and uh, I understand you're doing, cartoons which is not an art form that we consider and i went he said so i think that you need to next year find another school to go to and uh, the school had given me all these grants i had won all these different scholarships and things from different 
places and all. I basically went to school my first year for free. And uh, so I decided right then and there, you know what? I'm going to make the world my college and the people in it my textbooks. I'm not going to go to college. I'm just going to learn straight out. Uh, I had uh, bought into a pet shop that was near the farm and because I loved animals. And so I was part owner of a pet shop and I was uh, going down to a quarantine station in Kansas City buying parrots. I bought blue and gold macaws for $125. That was again back in 1970. And they were wild caught. They would literally go to South America, throw nets in the trees, pull down the birds, pull out one wing, cut off part of their flight feathers, which didn't hurt the birds and all. It just like hair grows back. And then they would bring them back. And they'd have a cage of three, four hundred of these blown gold macaws. And you just went in and pointed to one. They'd grab it, throw it in a box and 125 bucks and you're out the door. So I would buy them for $125 and sell them in the pet shop for $1,000 a piece. Nice uh, It was a great markup. I loved it. And I was going through one bird a month. So I was selling 12 birds a year. And uh, at first, the first one we had now, it sat in the shop for two months. No one even wanted it because it was wild. It would bite. It was So I took it home. And in 24 hours, I tamed it. Didn't train it. I tamed it so that it would sit on your arm. You could take your finger and push your finger into its mouth. And it would take its tongue and gently kiss your finger back out again. Uh, and because I could break the birds and tame them inside of 24 hours, we sold them. And that's how... I sold up, you know, 12 a year, then and all. Had the pet shop there for a couple of years. Uh, and then I decided I wanted to move on. I was young. I wanted to do other things and all. And I started calling different zoos to see where I could get in being a handler of animals. And the San Francisco Zoo uh, said, well, actually, we, we're not looking for anyone to work with parrots and that type of thing. But we did open up a, uh, a kitty uh, uh, old McDonald's farm. And we're looking for someone who can show off a cow, a pig, a chicken, a duck. And I went, that's what I do. I, I, I on the farm, I even have my own pair of overalls. I can do this. Excellent. And, uh, yeah. so they hired me, my girlfriend, uh, and I hopped into a suburban. I was 19, never been out of state of Iowa by myself. And off we drove and we took two weeks. We went all the way down to Texas, all the way over to San Diego and all the way back up to San Francisco. Uh, got up to San Francisco two weeks later with, uh, I had sold my part of the business, had all my life belongings in this suburban with my girlfriend, got, uh, got to San Francisco and, uh, went to go into the zoo and the uh, guy at the gate says, you don't work here. And so I had to use a payphone across the street, called them and they, had me come in. They said, the lady who hired you on the phone has been fired and with her went your job. So we don't have a job for you. And I'm like, great. I got everything. I'm here in San Francisco. I got everything with me. I, so they uh, came back an hour later and they says, okay, we can give you one hour a week to work here as a volunteer. We won't pay you, but you can come in and work for one hour a week as a volunteer. And I was like, I'm just to live on that. There's no way. So I ended up living with my girlfriend in my suburban for about four months on the streets of San Francisco, I became a street entertainer and uh, I was terrible as a street entertainer. I was doing caricatures. I was doing mime work. I was doing magic. I was doing balloon twisting, anything I could do to try and make money. And um, ended up on Pier 39, got a job in an antique tintype photo shop where we took your picture. Can I just ask you, you, say you, you say you were terrible as a street entertainer, but I find I, 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 I'm... I'm guessing you mean you weren't very good at, um, what do they call it, passing the bar, 
getting the, yes, the yes, money in yes. because I, I wasn't getting fat hats from, at all. I, I yeah. was going to say because from what I've seen, video footage on the net and stuff, I can't imagine you <laughs> being a bad street entertainer in the context yeah. of being an entertainer. So I yeah. just wanted to yeah. clarify that. So it was they actually getting people to right, right to right. give the money and give it up. And all right, now I was a uh, and my competitors was uh, uh, oh like Shields and Yarnell. They were out there at the time on San Francisco on Fisherman's Wharf. And uh, so I was, uh, there was a lot of great acts out there. And I was this young green kid trying to, you know, give me money. No. Okay. All right. Thanks. Bye. You know, I'm this kid from Iowa. And uh, so I ended up working in this tin type Photoshop. There's a very famous uh, street performer by the name of the Butterfly Man. Butterfly Man uh, did a great uh, stage act uh, where he did a lot of juggling and uh, very, very funny. And uh, he was bald. Uh, his backstory real quick was that he was a literally a, a, a rocket scientist in Alabama and uh, married and had a child. And he hated it. He hated his job. He hated working. He hated doing that and all. But he was good at it. And uh, he, what he loved was juggling. And so when he got off work, he'd go to the local bar. They put money into a jukebox and he would juggle to whatever song, you know, thank God I'm a country boy. Da, da, ba, 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 da, ba, ba. And he would just juggle to whatever song. Uh, he then wrote a poem about how butterflies lives are very short and they flit from flower to flower until they finally die. But they enjoy the flight as they go. And he had felt that he was not enjoying his life and that life was short, just like a butterfly's. And he wrote this poem about being a butterfly man. And he left the poem on the pillow and left his wife and daughter and moved to San Francisco to be a street performer. So he walked away from his family and to chase after his own, to leave his old life and be that. He was a little rough around the edges. Um, so uh, within two weeks, I was manager of this tintype Photoshop, and I had to open it each morning at 9 a.m. So I'm standing at this counter at Pier 39, open doors, waiting for customers, and there was never anyone in the morning. And here come the butterfly man with a bucket of roses. And the way he closed his act was he would take a long stem rose and balance it on his nose, and he wore a hat. And as he balanced the rose, long stem rose on his nose, he would recite that poem about butterflies in their life. And he says, and that's why they call me the butterfly man. Right hand would grab the rose, the left hand would grab the hat. He'd take a big bow. And on the top of his bald head, he had tattooed a giant butterfly. So that was, he was the butterfly man. And uh, that always got big applause and so forth. And all that was the end of his act. So I, I had watched his act a thousand times. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is, and it's like seeing some major celebrity in my, young age i was like oh wow there he is he's sitting right there he sat down with a bucket of roses for the morning for the day and was reading a newspaper and i'm staring at him i'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh that's, that's the butterfly man i can't believe it is so i left the counter and i went out to him and i said excuse me butterfly man my name is steven i'm from iowa originally and i really and i really i'm terrible at this and i'm just babbling along as fast as i can just trying to get out everything i could telling him you know i'm just like a big fan and i really i wish i could do what you do but i really can't that's why i have to work here this time i hate this and he looks at me, and can we swear on this? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. Okay. He looks at me, and he says, shut the fuck up. What the <laughs> hell? Yeah, will you leave me alone? I'm trying to read my fucking paper. And I was like, well, I, I, I'm sorry. I just, uh, you see, my name's Steven. I really, want to, I really want to do this. And he says, get the book away from me. What the hell? Get out of here. So I had to walk back in. Now I, my, my feelings are hurt. And I go in. I'm standing at this counter. I have to face him. 
in this counter because we're open for business. And I'm lips just a quivering and I got tears going down my face. I'm like, and I'm staring. He's trying to read his paper and he looks over at me and he finally he closes the paper up and he says, Come here, come here. And so I come out and I says, I'm sorry, I just have to really I to do that. He says, Shut the fuck up. Jesus Christ, sit down. God. And uh, he says, now, what the fuck's your problem? And I says, he says, calm down. Tell me slowly. So I explained to him that I sucked as a street performer and I really wanted to do this. And I came out to train animals and blah, 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 blah. And uh, <laughs> he says, uh, listen, he says, why are you working in here? If you want to be a street performer, you want to be a magician. Why are you working selling tin type photos? I says, I got to pay rent. Because by this point, I had, my girlfriend, I had moved into an apartment. And um and I wanted to eat. And uh, he says, well, he says, tell you what, he says, quit, quit this job and I'll teach you. You come work for me. Okay. And I just leap of faith. I went, okay, I'll do it. And I called them and I quit that day. And from uh, for the next three months, I would work watching his show each day. He did six shows a day. It was myself and another guy. It was a, uh, he, Pier 39 has a, a, ground area the pier and then there's a second area that's like a balcony area that goes all the way around as a square all the way around so his stage sat in one corner and people would fill that whole floor area but then all the people up top would look down watching his show and uh he'd say now folks he says the city of san francisco doesn't pay me i work solely off of your tips your contributions so please no matter how small the tip is just fold it up Put it in, you know, so then everyone was throwing change. He's in, if you're going to throw change, we have babies down here. We have gentlemen with bald heads. So please take whatever coin that you want to throw in, wrap it in a one, five, 10 or $20 bill. So it doesn't hurt anyone and throw it in. He says, and just so you're not throwing it down, I have two gentlemen up top here and all they've got boxes. Please put your tips in the boxes that they've got up there. Don't throw it down. I'll never get it. And so we would then after he was done with the show, we'd walk around collecting tips the deal was we got to keep whatever tips went in those boxes. That was our pay. And we would sit behind his little stage, myself, the other kid, and Butterfly Man. And he would then dissect his entire act step by step. Why he did this, why he picked this person, why he went this way instead of that way. It was a great training for three months. And we're sitting there straightening out our tips and counting them and all while he's explaining everything. And I learned so much about street entertainment and so that everything and all beforehand i was doing maybe two three dollars an hour as a street performer after three months i was averaging 54 dollars an hour as a street performer and, which and back this then is, was really good this is in the 70s did you say in the 70s yeah, yeah. it was i just 70, want to make that clear so the people yeah, watching exactly, listening yeah. now thinking yeah yeah oh that's terrible yeah that. exactly in yeah. the 70s that's good yeah that's that good. was a lot of money yeah it really yeah. was and all it was a lot so uh, uh, it, it, it worked out really well for me and all. Uh, a production company that uh, used to be at Adventureland Park doing shows uh, had uh, seen me uh, earlier when I was doing caricatures and spoke with me. They called me when I was in San Francisco and they said, you still train animals? And I says, yes, I do. And they says, great, we've got a mule in Las Vegas and Henderson, Nevada, actually, and all at Old Vegas, which is an amusement park. And uh, we need someone to come down and train it and work in a show. Will you, you want to come do that? And I went, sure. So I said goodbye to my girlfriend and loaded up and moved to Henderson. And uh, I trained a mule to uh, play dead. So what happened was they had a, a gunfight show, Old West type show. Uh, Sheriff, good guy, Black Bart. 
and a livery stable right in the center. They would turn, they'd count off. They're going to do 10 counts, turn and shoot each other. And when they got to five, the livery stable doors would open up and I come out and I did an impression of uh, Mr. Haney from the Green Acres TV show, which not a lot of people probably don't remember. Uh, but uh, Pat Buckram was his name. And uh, so I'd come out with my mule doing this voice in overalls. And I'd say, now, hold on a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Someone's liable to hit. Someone's liable to hit my ass. <laughs> uh, my jackass, that is. Isn't, isn't she cute? I love her. She's a buttercup. She's just. So I, I would do this voice. And I was the deputy. I was the comedy deputy. And uh, some little by play back and forth. And then I'd have to go to pull my gun out like uh, uh, Don Knotts, in a sense, uh, from Andy Griffith show. I'm going, now, hold on, Sheriff. Hold on. I'll get I got I got your back. Don't worry. I'll get. And the gun would go off. And we'd have this imaginary ricochet bullet going, bing, bing, bing. And all the actors on the street would watch this imaginary bullet hit a pan that might move or, a, you know, things that bop around. And the last place we'd all look would be at the mule. And I had trained the mule that when I turned my foot, the mule would flop over. Mm-hmm. So it was like, and you heard, bing, 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 thump, and it would hit this mule and the mule would flop down. And I'd say, oh, no, oh, no, Buttercup, you've done killed Buttercup. Oh, my gosh, I've killed Buttercup. I didn't mean to. Do- I am so. And I would break character because the tail was still flopping as it was laying there. And I go, and <laughs> I don't, I bore, but <laughs> I, well, shoot. And I pull out my gun and I go bang and the tail go and lay there and all. And the voice would say, ladies and gentlemen, the Trotter brothers, uh, entertainers, da, 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 da. and I go, Hup. and that mule would stand back up again. And we take a little bow and go back in the livery sale. I did six shows a day, seven days a week doing that. Did that for six months and uh, the park closed. And the company says, will you come to Phoenix where we've got a complex? We've got 65 macaws and cockatoos that we use in other amusement parks that will have you trained to ride bikes, scooters and skates, sing opera, that type of thing. Sure. So I ended up going down there. I uh, moved to Phoenix. I was 370, 360 pounds, something like that. Uh, Big guy. And I said, yeah, these birds are great and all, and they go to different parks. I'd love to be a park guy. I'd love to, you know, do these bird shows. And they laughed at me and they said, you're fat. You can't be on stage. Not like that. You know, this isn't a comedy Western show. This is, this is something different. This is a, you have to be a slim, good looking young guy that works the birds, you know, and yeah, you're just too fat. Sorry. Can't do it. And I says, well, what if I lose the weight? Now, this is January 1st. And they went, well, April is when we leave. I mean, you've got three and a half months. So, yeah, good luck. And I uh, I went on a diet. And at the time, we didn't have Walmart back then. We had Kmart. And Kmart sold a thing called Apidrines. Apidrines were a caffeine pill. It was $2 for 50 pills. Uh, you're to take two pills a day. They're illegal now. Uh, you took two pills a day. And that Kind of got you going and all. I was popping 13 pills a day. So it was Holy basically shit. over the yeah, it was basically over the counter speed. I tell doctors about that and they're like, we really want to cut you open and see what kind of damage you did to your heart. And I'm you like, let's wait till you're bloody, I... lucky to, you're bloody lucky to be alive. Yes, that's just what the doctors all say. They're like, we really want to see what you did, what damage you did to your heart. And I said, let's wait till I die, you know, and then, then you can do all you want. I don't care. Um I ended up dropping 186 pounds in three and a half months, uh, pound and a half to three pounds a day. Uh, I had bags underneath my eyes. I was really thin. I had pecs. I had a six pack. I was big, foofy hair. You know, it was the early eighties and, uh, it it looked good. I I was 
And the uh, owner of the company says, well, yeah, well, you did it. Yeah. We'll let you take out a bird show. You can go do it. So I went to Massachusetts and put in a bird show there and uh, did so well that summer. When I came back, uh, he had said, listen, he says, you do this character stuff and all. He says, uh, why don't you try doing this other artwork? So I started doing other artwork. I won't go into that whole story and all, but uh, uh, they had a bunch of Paul Osborne's original artwork. And uh, oh, the illusion they, building plans for those yes. people who might yep. not know yep. the American illusion builder, yeah, yes. And uh, uh, I was a huge Paul Osborne fan, and they got this stuff not the way they should have, but they got all of his original artwork. So uh, they had an art studio, and they uh, sat me down one day with one of his boards. He did all the Warner Brother characters for Six Flags theme parks. Uh, so he would build Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and all those Tasmanian Devil. So they gave me Taz and they said, here, can you copy that with these markers? And so it took me about an hour, but I copied it. And you couldn't tell Paul's and mine between the two. They said, great, here's Bugs. Here's Daffy. Just keep. And after I did about two weeks in between training animals, I was inside doing these characters, not characters, but doing the drawings. He says, okay, let's try this. Come up with a new character that's none of these. And so I did. And I ended up developing my artwork looked like Paul Osborne's style of artwork. And uh, yeah, so I ended up doing all this artwork. They would go to trade shows. People go, wow, Paul Osborne illustrates for you guys. And, no, 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 Steve does it. So I started then, the owner took me under his wing, taught me the business. I was getting paid $187 a week and 50 cents uh, to train animals and do this artwork and then go out and sell shows to the parks uh, we would sell three to nine shows in six different parks each summer. I would personally fly out. I would personally do the whole sales pitch and all, you know. We did three to four million in uh, contracts. My mom would call and she says, how much are you getting paid? You just signed a $4 million of contracts and you're only getting paid that much a week? Uh, I was just going to say, you're saying this and is in the 80s. That does sound like um, they were using money. you a bit. Yes, and I was okay still with that. some money, but yes. it's good money for the 80s. Yes, and I, to um, I, to yeah. I told her, I said, Mom, I said, you have to understand. I says there is no college for teaching you how to produce amusement park shows. So sure. I'm getting paid to firsthand try out my own ideas mm -hmm. and get to know. I also made a lot of great connections with the parks. I'm going on 45 years now of working for Six Flags theme parks. And they've these are guys I've worked with way back in the day and all that are now, you know, executives and owners of the parks and that type of thing, you know, they're park general managers and all. So I have a very good working relationship with Six Flags theme parks, and I do a lot of their parks now still to this day, uh, which has been good, especially for the hypnosis, which we're getting to. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, so I, I ended up working for them for six and a half years, uh, Sid and Marty Croft. Uh, they were the puppet people. They did uh, Puffin Stuff, Lidsville, some of the more famous kids shows here in America. And uh, they offered me a job to come do puppets for them. And uh, so I went to work with them very brief. Uh, at the time, one of our six parks that I was working for, for Trotter Brothers was, uh, it wasn't a park. It was the uh, Columbus Zoo with Jack Hanna. Jack Hanna is a very famous American guy who goes on David Letterman and a lot of the talk shows with the animals. And I would train the animals for him to take on these TV shows. Jack was like a second father to me. 
And uh, we went for a walk one day and I said, I, I, I've been working with this company six and a half years and I got a chance now to go work for somebody else. What do I do? And it was like Andy and Opie from uh, the Andy Griffith show. We were walking back part of the Columbus Zoo and he was telling me, oh, well, you know, he gave me great advice. Um, I will give you a funny, quick uh, story with Jack Hanna, if I can. Yeah, please, uh, when, Jack, I, please. when I started working with the Columbus Zoo, uh, Jack and I hit it off. Jack has has a, a very funny sense of humor. It's very naughty. I'm going to say between a 12 year old and a college kid, and uh, he's just, you know that type of thing. And uh, so we're walking through. He's showing me the zoo, and we go to it. They're they're one of the top breeding zoos in America, and uh, they took me down into an area that's not seen by the public and there's a tapar there uh tapar is uh the black and white and has like an elephant type trunk to it in a sense and all they're smaller and there's two guys there and uh he says yeah we're, we're one of the top breeding facilities in america and uh we have to collect samples and uh everyone does this uh so if you'll get a glove and i said get get a glove what am i i'm a kid and he says yep get a glove they'll show you so I get this glove on. They said, okay, now just reach underneath there, grab his uh, penis and uh, start, you know, moving it. And we've got a big vial here that we're going to, you're just basically going to milk it into. Uh, okay. So I get down there and I'm stroking this Tapar's penis. Mm -hmm. And Jack gets down there with a Polaroid camera and starts taking photos. He's <laughs> laughing. And uh, I was like going, uh, he's a smile. And I'm like, you know, okay, here we go. Yeah, I'm doing it. And uh, he gets done. He says, Steve, what the hell are you doing? And I said, well, I'm doing what you And he says, come on, you didn't come on. And so I took the love off and we ended up going to his office. He pulls out a photo album. Every single employee of that zoo, he has photos of them jacking off a tape bar. And he goes, hey, and this goes in the collection right here. Initiation like, okay. ceremony. I love this guy. He's, he's, that's funny. That's great. And all. So, but uh, I ended up. <laughs> Working for Sid and Marty for a very brief amount of time. Uh, end up leaving Sid and Marty. And uh, uh, one of the other folks that offered me a job saw me do the bird show. They thought I was funny. And they thought that my timing with the animals was really quick. They really liked it. And uh, they uh, were Universal Studios. And they had a dolphin and sea lion show. And they asked me if I wanted to do dolphin and sea lion shows. And I went, sure, why not? So they flew me to California, and I studied at SeaWorld. I studied at Marineland uh, underneath some older guys uh, how to work dolphins and sea lions, which is all animal training is kind of the basic. And then you just kind of go from there, then and all. You just have to understand each animal's background. And uh, I ended up going to Marriott's in uh, San Jose, California, where I trained six dolphins and a sea lion. Uh, the sea lion that I used, his name's Fernando. And uh, how I ended up with him was uh, they called me and they said, hey, we're shooting a movie in San Francisco, which San Jose is near San Francisco, and we're shooting at the Bay. It's called the Golden Seal. And uh, we need a trainer to work this Fernando, this sea lion. He needs to be released into the Bay. He needs to be able to come back and we'll hire you to be the trainer. And I said, okay, great. It paid me well. We did the movie. I was praying that if I release this animal into this big ocean, basically it's going to come back. Otherwise, I'm out of a job. And um, he ended up, he came back uh, each time and 
he ended up winning the Patsy Award. The Patsy Award is uh, like the Academy Awards for animals. Oh, and uh, yeah, Lassie got one one year. Fred the Cockatoo from Beretta got one one year. Benji got one one year. And Fernando got it for that year and all for uh, a golden seal. And I asked, I says, hey, whatever happened to the trainer who trained this sea lion? You know, because this guy had trained him bottle fed since it was like three days old. And I said, what happened to him? And he says, oh, one day he was training Fernando and Fernando turned around. Their neck is like an owl. It'll, it can flip real fast. They've got 162 razor sharp teeth in their mouth. And uh, Fernando whipped around and bit off his uh, kneecap. And so he was in the hospital with no knee. They had to rebuild an all new knee for him. And I went, you, Holy shit. you, you neglected to tell, well, we knew if we told you that you wouldn't come to it. So yeah, we didn't tell you. And I was like, oh dear Lord. So uh, uh, Fernando and then I, Fernando and two of the dolphins and I flew to Gurney, Illinois, and we went to that, uh, Marriott's park during the time there, it turned into a six flags park. And, uh, at that time I met Brett Daniels. I had met Brent Daniels, who's a magician here in America. I had met him earlier working for the Trotter brothers, producing shows at another park in Lake George, New York. He was doing a magic show. I was doing other shows for puppet shows, costume character shows and that type of thing all for this other company. So uh, we connected uh, since he lived in uh, Milwaukee, which is about an hour and a half away from Gurney. And he says, Hey, I'm in the Wisconsin Dells. Wisconsin Dells is a tourist trap in Wisconsin that does about a quarter of a million people a week of tourists through. And he says, uh, I've got a little kitty park up there that wants shows. Do you want to come do a show with me? Let's produce a show together. And I said, sure. So I quit the dolphin and sea lion show business and went to go on my own. I, you know, I've got all this training in me. Might as well start doing parks. And uh, we put together a show called Zoltron, the world's most powerful magician. Uh, it was myself as a costume character magician. We had an assistant. The assistant was uh, Brett and I's accountant's girlfriend's niece. And she had just turned 16. Mm. And uh, so here was this 16-year-old girl and I doing six to seven shows a day, depending on what day of the week, seven days a week, in an outdoor covered theater that sat maybe 200, 250 people. Pre-taped, it was just her and I. We had to run our own curtains, our own illusions, our own sound, everything ourselves. And all. We had bunnies, we had doves, we had ducks, we had all these animals in the show. And uh, outdoors, it was hot. Uh, funny little side story was uh, this girl was wearing fishnets and a one-piece swimsuit that was all sequins in the front with a bow tie. She was Zelda, my assistant, and uh, to a Zoltron, the world's most powerful magician. I'm in a costume character face, so no one can see my face and all, so I'm kind of miming to a pre-tape music for each of the illusions. And I'm doing a levitation. I'm doing a vanish, a, a decolta chair, that type of thing. Uh, one day in between shows, we're sitting backstage. It's hot. She's sitting on a, a platform and she's wearing her fishnets. And I see a thread between her legs hanging down. And I went, oh, no. I says, honey, you got to keep your fishnets up. You, we got to mend them. You know, if they get a tear like that, I reached over and grabbed the string and pulled it. Her eyes went, <gasps> and I went, <gasps> and it wasn't part of the fishnets. <laughs> it was something else. <laughs> and I went, you're not wearing pantyhose? And she goes, no, it's too hot. And I went, get pantyhose, get tights, something. Don't just wear the fishnets. Oh, my God. So, um, oh, no. yeah, yeah, that, that, to a 16-year-old <laughs> girl. 
Oh, uh, but so uh, uh, Brett and I parted ways after that year. And for two years, I stayed in the Dells just doing caricatures. Brett ran the shows himself. Uh, I decided to, I was miserable not doing the park. So I went to the park owners, pitched them shows. And when I went to pitch them the shows, uh, this park only paid $1,000 a week. And it was a 12-week run. So it's $12,000 for the summer. You had to pay everything, costumes, music, props, everything. So I had nine different shows laid out. And I said, and I met the new owners. The old owners had sold the park to uh, uh, Family Land, which is a water park uh, nearby. Where are we, time-wise, where are we here? Are we still we're in the 80s in the, or into the 90s? We're, no, we're still, we're in the, uh, we're 85 Okay, so a thousand dollars was considerably more than than it is now. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, very yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Very much. So I went in and I said I have to have fifteen thousand for the summer. I can't do it for twelve thousand. I got to do fifteen thousand, and it'll be a heck of a show. I've got these nine shows, and the guys, bless him, and he says, you know, let me call my son over here from the water park. We've got this big water park across the street. So his son gets over there, and he's looking everything over all of my drawings, which again looks like Paul Osborne stuff. And uh, he says, this is impressive. This is great. You came up with all this? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you can build all this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do costume characters. I do, I do. But, you know, our competitor, Noah's Ark, which is a big water park, they have uh, the uh, the party animals. And it's three costume characters that dance by their wave pool every day. And we've got, we're building a thousand-seat outdoor amphitheater at our family land um, uh, water park here across the street for next year. Uh what would you charge us to do a, a show? And I says, well, I, I don't care. I, I have to have 15000 though, to do storybook here, this this little kitty part. And he says, yeah, 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 but uh, what kind of a show would you do? And I says, okay, and I'm just pulling stuff out of my butt at this meeting. And I said, what do you want? I said, do you want animals or do you want people? And he says, well, animals, just like they got. You know, they, they had one-track mind. They, they had no creativity. And I says, okay, uh, let's go this way. What kind of music do you do you listen to? And he says, oh, Jan and Dean, uh, the Beach Boys. And I said, all right, let's go with the Beach Boys. I said, uh, if you want animals, we can go uh, Wisconsin known for beavers. We can go the the Beach Beavers. Uh, we can go the Beach Bunnies. They can be bunny rabbits. Uh, we can do the Beach Bears. And he went, ooh, oh, I like that. The Bears, the Beach Bears. He says, what do they look like? And I says, you want three of them? And he goes, yeah. And I again, I'm just pulling stuff out of my out of my mind and i said uh, uh well uh the first one the main character his name is uh splash and splash is uh he's got an inner tube and a hawaii uh, uh, just a a, a a lifeguard type shirt and maybe a, a whatever that is you know the, the snorkel snorkel, snorkel. snorkel. Okay. yeah and uh maybe even uh, uh flippers and uh, he's okay. And I says, and the piano player is, uh, he's a little short guy. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. His name is Squirt uh, with blonde hair, very Beach Boys. I says, and then the drummer is, uh, he's really tall and he wears an old 1920s bathing suit with all these medals. He's one, he's high dive. He's a, uh, and he's got all these medals. Cause I'm thinking that's how you're going to be able to look out is look out through the screens of the medals with this fake, mm-hmm. huge, head coming love up it. and he goes oh, oh i love it i love it I love it he said so uh uh can you do it for a hundred thousand and i said sure but but you understand i i storybook gardens here i have to have fifteen thousand in order to do story i was so focused i was not even paying attention to that now and he says okay yeah yeah you got storybook and i said oh 
I, I do for 15,000. And he says, yeah. And I said, oh, great. Uh, which show do you want? I've got nine of them here. And he says, I don't care. Pick one and do it. And I went, you, well, I will. And I'm packing them up. I, I'll get you the best show that I've actually got. Absolutely the best. I really appreciate 15,000. We got that. Sure. Yes. And you're going to do the beach bears for a hundred thousand next year. The yeah, yeah, yeah. But 15,000, we got, we're all set. And I, I got back to my office in Phoenix. My uncle, uh, Bill, was uh, sitting there, and he said, so how did it go? And I told him the story, and he went, you you went to get a $15,000 contract, and you came back with $115,000? And I went, I, yeah, I guess I did. So that started my solo career with amusement parks and all in 1985, working there than it all. And I put the beach bears in. I ended up working up several parks up there in the Wisconsin Dells. And within three years at Storybook, I was living in Storybook Gardens in the candy house. And the park closed at five o'clock or six o'clock each night. And then we had these little blue lakes with swans and white ducks and over 400,000 flowering plants. It was absolutely gorgeous. My mom came to visit. She walked out the back door at like 630 after the park was closed. She says, you live in heaven. This is gorgeous. It's all private, all to me. You know, it was a 15 acre uh, kitty park. And um, it was beautiful. I loved it and all. But uh, uh, after three years, I ended up becoming manager of the park. And so I managed the park. And uh, they only had three characters at that time that was uh, Little Bo Peep, Red Riding Hood, and the Good Fairy. Uh, And I upped it to 22 characters. Uh, We took down the old theater, built a new theater for me, and I produced all these big magic shows and puppet shows and it it did me really well and uh now we're getting into the female impersonation part uh so i don't consider yeah, myself wow, a drag. before 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 we take yep. right into that wow yep. what yep. a i know it just it, you know i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you this and it's i i mentor a lot of young entertainers and mostly magicians. And what I tell them is that I had a dream when I was in my early 20s, back when all this was really kind of going along. And it, it stuck with me my whole life. And that is that dream was that I was in a, a hallway and there was doors on each side of that hallway all the way down. And at the very end was one door with an exit sign that the exit signs flashing exit exit. And in my mind, in this dream, I was walking down that hallway towards that door, that exit sign. And I knew I had to go through that door. And all of a sudden, a door on the right went and kinked open just a little bit. It was dark. I couldn't see. And I stopped and I looked and I thought, well, I'm supposed to go, but I wonder what's behind that door. I went so very cautiously. I very slowly, and I remember it took me forever to get this door opened up and I'm peeking and it's dark. I couldn't see anything. And finally, I just took a deep breath and I walked in, the door shut. And do you know what was behind that door? another hallway with doors and a door at the end and an exit sign and i went oh it's we're back to the same hallway okay so i started walking and a door on the left and i went well so i pushed it open a little more confident another hallway more doors the door at the end exit sign it's to the point now where a door will clink and i just walk right through it i know i'm very confident it's just another hallway another door at the end exit sign i'm headed that way so all of these opportunities all these different things i've done in my life are different doors you know if you'd have told me when i was going to high school here 
on the farm that you're going to be doing working in Las Vegas. You're going to be on TV. You're going to train animals. You're going to do dolphin and sea lion shows. You're going to work in, you know, all these different places and all these different music parks and stuff. And all. I laughed at you. I went, no, I'm going to be a pig farmer in Iowa. You know, the family farm. And that's what we're going to do. That's, that's my life. That's what we're going to do. But thanks to all these different opportunities. And I think everyone has doors that they could easily, if they, but they don't have the confidence. They just go, no, I'm, I'm supposed to go out that door. So I'm not going, I'm not going to take a chance. I don't know what's behind there. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to keep, which sadly, I think a lot of people do in their lives. So that's, that's how I can kind of, how I kind of figured it out. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> what a life story. What, yeah, what a, exactly. a unique set of different experiences all blended, you know, coming together. Absolutely bloody fantastic. Now, at some point, well, yeah, that's where, you, I'm sorry, I just interrupted you. At some point. No, 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 way, no. Um, so now Rap we'll go into the, into the mix and hit yes, exactly. How, how did that all come about? Exactly. So uh, I'm going to back this up now again uh, to the point that I, I don't consider myself a drag queen. Never have. Uh, I'm not a transvestite. I'm not a transsexual. I'm not uh, a drag queen. I'm a female impersonator. And uh, yeah, RuPaul, God love him. He's done a lot for female impersonation or, or drag. Uh, but if if you, I, I've seen three episodes, I'm sorry, two episodes of RuPaul's Drag Race, and I've only seen about 15 minutes of it, and I had to turn it off because I was like, well, um, to me, they're clowns. It's it's way overpainted, way cartoony. Uh, it isn't, they don't look that like women to me. They look like clowns. to be the modern That's, drag. Yeah, I'm exactly. using the term modern drag off him. In, in, I'm saying in my day, which makes me sound old and bizarre. Oh, with respect, I'm older than you. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, with the greatest of respect, I suspect you may be, have a few years on me. Um, I turned 48 in August this year, but I was born on the circus. I've been performing since I was there three. There you go. But got the years there, and I started working the working men's clubs in England at an early age, doing the stand-up comedy magic, and there were drag queens or female impersonators on the bill. And yep. back then... As you say, uh, back then, the emphasis was female impersonating. Exactly, in, exactly. Now, yes, that could be amplified. There would be ones who did extreme comedy characters, and it was meant to right. be. But generally speaking, it was, they were impersonating a female. And right. maybe bringing out right. the comedy points. But, right. Um, Plus, also, I mean, in England, I'm not sure if the law's ever been revoked, but in England, certainly in the uh, musical days, and it was still around in the 80s and the 90s, the law was such at the end of your act on stage, yep. you had to, in front of the audience, take yep. off your makeup and your wig, and sure. ideally take off the frock and change back into male yep. clothing. Yep. Um, yep. That was the law, and technically it still is, I think, uh, sure. in England, but people don't abide by that but yeah in terms of drag race it's good because it's popularizing things i think but there's a lot of them on there that i i find it very hard to call drag yeah. or female impersonators yeah. personally just you know old school you, 
Did you know that uh, in the here in America, uh, it was against the law to be in drag back in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, even the 50s, some parts of the 50s in certain parts of the states. And uh, so, so drag was very popular in a circus. And uh, that's where circus clowns, uh, a lot of female impersonators or drag queens were clowns in the circus because they could get made up and be mm-hmm. very pretty with beautiful big costumes and they could parade around the ring and as they did, waving folk, people loved them. They did, oh, yay, let them get a picture. Oh, my God, it's, you know. So they were adored, they were loved, and that was a space that they could perform in. So a lot of, of drag comes in America, comes from clowning. And I work circus also. So I've worked circus Vasquez. I've worked with Ringling. Uh, I, I work as a headhunter with Ringling Brothers and all, finding them talent and so forth. And uh, yeah. I've worked several different circuses and all. I've done clown work an awful lot. And that's what helped me get into the female impersonation so easily is because of my work as a clown, putting on clown makeup. Because to me, the difference between female impersonation and clown work is very thin. It's a, it's still a costume. It's still makeup. It's still a wig and it's a persona and it's not a lifestyle choice for me. I don't, uh, I don't get made up and go to uh, a restaurant at two in the morning in full makeup. I don't go shopping at two in the afternoon in full makeup. Well, it's let's a stage be honest, thing. The vast, but certainely in our area um, and probably before I was working with drag queens, uh, so, but you'd remember because the slight age uh, different. The vast majority, the vast majority of female impersonators only ever would you see them in drag on stage or if right. it was a TV show. That is the only times you would see them. Right. Or obviously right. if it was an event where they'd been booked to be signing photos or whatever, obviously. But not now. But there again, is it down to the social media world we live in that your RuPaul type drag queens are right. spending more time in is it because right. of the social media world we're in that the world's become a stage more so I don't know and talent wise it seems like all I see them do is this death drop thing where they've got to oh. hit the floor <laughs> oh. that's that's their and lip, talent and lip you sync know. for your life which is great oh. you can do it but, the, but that does not a full uh, fully rounded theatrical performance give in my personal opinion you're not an entertainer right exactly and uh, a funny thing when i was first starting out doing female impersonation uh in the clubs and all i worked with a hispanic gentleman in phoenix and uh he was giving me advice i was very new and very very young all this and uh he says now honey if you don't know your words make sure you wear a long wig long hair And if you don't know your words, you just turn sideways, tip your head forward so the hair falls down and shake your head during those words. And they won't know that you don't know. You're just dancing and then come back up with the words you do know and go at it. And I always thought that was so funny. I would sit in the back of the, the showroom and she would go on. He she would go on and start performing. And anytime he turned sideways and dipped his head and started dancing, I went, don't you know your words? And he'd look up at me like. You know, oh, so I, I was kind of a, a naughty. That's why Bonnie Bitch was such a perfect fit for me, you know, because I was a bit naughty uh, when it came to what I do with the queens like that and all. Uh, but I did. I uh, uh, What got me started into it was I was uh, doing stand-up comedy. I was wearing tennis shoes, a jacket, and doing stand-up. Uh, that was my little, that was my personal release 
from doing these other park shows and that type of thing, you know, and uh, artistic way to be able to perform. And uh, I got hired to open for a uh, female comedian, uh, Rusty Warren. I don't know if you have ever heard of Rusty Warren or not. Now, look her up. She, uh, she, yeah. she passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately, in Hawaii. But uh, she was uh, known for a couple of songs. One of them was Bounce Your Boobies. And the other one was uh, Knockers Up. Knockers Up. And in the 1950s, she was banned in Boston for saying boobies. Uh, she was uh, quite the renegade. Uh, she had uh, the limericks. Unfortunately, uh, can't think of the comic's name now and all. Uh, he stole her limericks from her and all, but they were a nursery, dirt, dirty nursery rhymes. Uh, Rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub. Oh, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a lot of innuendos. And uh, so she hired me for two weeks in Phoenix to open for her as a, a stand-up comedian. And uh, I did. And she came into my dressing room one night and she says, you're funny. You're funny as fuck. He says, she says, but your, your facials, you, you really move your face around. You've you got a rubber face. You'd really. And uh, she says, uh, have you ever thought about doing drag? And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm a guy. Why would I? dress up like a girl i don't know she says no with your facials and as funny as you are you you kill as a comedy female impersonator you just i mean you're you'd be fantastic at it and uh so she says let me introduce you to someone so she introduced me to a gentleman uh that uh, has passed on many many years now uh who uh went by the stage name sissy goldberg and uh sissy was kind of a, a takeoff of uh, phyllis diller uh but a little prettier and uh, but he talked like this. He had a really deep voice like this whole time. And he never changed his voice. He come out and he did all this stand up talking like this in full drag. You know, a, so anyway, I was telling Marge, I said, Marge, you know, you, you just can't do that kind of thing. You know, and I said, what the hell? You know, I just, and she he, he, he would and, and it, it, it was believable. You almost felt like she had was she was one of those old bar ladies who'd been sitting at a bar for years with cigarettes and she, you know, oh yeah, and he, it was, he was a master class in in comedy, and he wrote all of his own stuff, very very funny stuff, and he was very well known. Um, he took Keith Morris was his his sta- his real name, but Sissy Goldberg was his his stage name, and uh, he took me in his wing and taught me makeup and costuming and timing and so forth and all for the drag and how to use that and. Uh, I came up with the name Bonnie Bitch. He's you got to come up with the name. And so I came up with the name Bonnie Bitch. And the reason why I came up with Bonnie Bitch was because I wanted a name no one else would have. I wanted something that would come trippingly off the tongue so it's easy to remember. Uh, not, you know, Felicia de la Florida. You know, uh, it's not marketable. Uh, at the time, the big thing at that time was posters, keychains, things like that that said bitch, bitch, bitch. And that was back in the day of. Oh, I can't believe you said bitch. Oh, but it was being accepted and it was out there. So I went, okay, what goes with bitch? Uh, Betty bitch, uh, Bobby bitch, uh, Bonnie, Bonnie. There's no female impersonator or drag queen in the world. It's going to be named Bonnie. That's just such a dumb name, Bonnie. So Bonnie bitch. And it kind of flows. Bonnie bitch, Bonnie bitch, Bonnie bitch. That works. So I ran with Bonnie bitch. Keith came and saw me perform, and after I was done with my act, he comes up to me and he says, I hate that name. I said, why? And he says, because you're not a bitch. You're sweet. 
You're funny and you're sweet. You're a nice, nice female impersonator. You are not a bitch. I'm expecting this nasty and you come back with this. You're just pleasant and you've mixed the, the magic in with it. And, and I did puppets also. And oh, you mix right. puppets. Okay. Yeah, I build because of the amusement parks and working for the themes and designing and building. I was working puppets in. So like I made a Donner Summers puppet and I would put a fake nose with the strings you could see on my face and a wig as Diana as a Barbara Streisand. And so I had Diana, uh, Donna Summers and Barbara Streisand, and we would do you. You don't send me flowers anymore. Da 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 da. A little duet between the two of us, then and all. Um, nice. I did Diana. Each one of the characters, I would uh, call it a bitch. So I did like Shirley bitch Temple. I did uh, Diana bitch Ross. Uh, Barbara bitch Streisand. Everything was bitch for the middle name. Uh, Diana bitch Ross. I had the. I sewed four wigs together to be this big. Diana Ross type hair. I made a, an hourglass type dress. I came out and I had two puppets with their hands locked together on each shoulder. My hands went up inside so I could work them like this. And uh, we would do stop in the name of love. Stop in the name of love. Boom, 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 and so forth. Um, all choreographed. That would blend into the beginning of Ain't No Mountain High Enough. And I would drop the puppets and throw them off stage. And I had draped this object on stage. And the ding, 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 bum, bum, dum, as the Ain't No Mountain High Enough music would start. I'd pull the cloth off and it was a porcelain toilet. And I would pull the skirt up and I would squat down, sit on the toilet, looking both ways. And I go, as I'm doing it. And it, uh, so I did the whole song sitting on a toilet and I would reach between the legs and pull out a can of tuna. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'd drop it back in. I'd hit the flush and you'd hear this flush sound and it would go into Aretha Franklin's think. In the middle of that, it says freedom, oh, freedom, freedom. At the time, they had freedom maxi pads was being sold. Wow. And I had a box of maxi pads I'd pull out of the back of the toilet that had freedom maxi pads. And I would say, oh, freedom, freedom, freedom. You need me and I need you. Without each other, there ain't nothing we can't do. Oh, freedom. And I'd throw maxi pads out into the audience. And at the end of the number, I would take one maxi pad, peel it off, find a bald-headed guy and slap it on his forehead and go, think. English European viewers who may not have guessed um, the translation would be sanitary pads, sanitary towels, women. Yeah. Really? The what translation, is it? I assume. Maxi, I assume from the English would refer to them as sanitary towels. Masonic, I don't know what you're saying. I'm sorry. Sorry, it's breaking up. Sanitary yeah. towels. So, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're saying. Sorry. Sonic. Is it not? Is it breaking up? No, it's not breaking up. I just don't understand what you're saying. All <laughs> oh, right, must be the accent. Um, it could in be in England. Um, yeah. I think what you're referring to is what would be called sanitary, as in sanitary. Sanitary. S a n i t a r y. Oh, satire. No, s a n i t a r y. Never heard of that. Sanitary. Never heard of that. Oh, oh. sanitary. Oh, 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 for the maxi pads. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Person, uh, fe feminine hygiene. Feminine yeah. hygiene. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm just yep, 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 yep. Tra translating, as it were, for the English and European right. viewers. There you go. Thank you. Yes, we have different, yeah, exactly. Di di different names for things. Exactly, say. exactly. Well, I ended up traveling. I got booked in Mexico uh, for a two-week run in Mazatlan, Mexico, uh, doing that act and a bunch of others. Uh, uh -huh. And it, it slowly started building. Well, I put together a one-man show. Uh, called the Bonnie Bit Show. I brought in another entertainer to join me, and I booked my first tour of the U.S. with the Bonnie Bit Show. Uh, the the show was an hour and a half long. I would send you posters. I send you eight by ten photos. I'd send you table tents for your uh, club. Uh, I would send you buttons for your bartenders to wear. You know, don't miss the Bonnie Bit Show coming. Uh, and uh, I would uh, pay for the hotel. I'd pay for the gas and travel. And the show was $75, 75 bucks for an hour and a half show. And every single club I approached, they went, how can I turn it down? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're booked. You got to. And I said, the only reason why the price is so low and I'm willing to pay for all this is because I want to get my foot in the door with you folks. I want you to see what my show is about. And I want to see what your club is like. I want to see how many patrons you have and what kind of you know money you can do. And I want your registers to ring. Because if you don't make money off my show, you're not going to book me again. And so it was a nice little way to start. Every single club that I played, by the end of the show, the owners were going, I want you back. I, I got to have you back. And I'd say, great, I'm booking the next tour, and it, uh, uh, it'll be $150. But again, I pay for everything. And they, oh, you're, you're booked, you're booked, you're fine, you're fine. So I ended up, each tour was about 100 cities. I was out for about three to four months. Each time we worked a new city each night, 18 foot backdrop, animals, uh, magic illusions, costumes, uh, back of house sales. I sold pen and pencil sets. I sold posters. I sold hats. I sold T-shirts. I sold keychains. Anything I could sell that had Bonnie Bitch on it, I would sell it and uh, made very good money off my back of house sales. Uh, keychains were the best. And um, so anyway, I uh, uh, took out the first tour uh, and did that. Uh, when I came back, I had two weeks to make an all new show. sew up new costumes, new music and so forth. Go back on the road, do it again with those same. It was the same circuit that I did. And it was primarily the Midwest and the East Coast of the unit of the U.S. And uh, came back. The, I got rebooked again. I upped the price to three hundred dollars. The next tour went out for four fifty to five hundred a, a show. And you paid hotel. So it was 500 plus hotel. Uh, and then it went up to uh, 750, 800. Then it went up to 1,000, then 1,200, then 1,500. And when I finished the last three, four years, I was booking anywhere from 1,800 to 2,000 a night plus hotel. And um, it was, and, and the last tours I did was the female impersonation hypnosis show. So it was easier for me because I didn't have to bring a backdrop or animals or magic illusions. Well, I just. Well, there's two obvious questions. One is, yeah. where and when did the hypnosis come in? And the second one would be, when did you excuse the term? Probably inappropriate. Yeah. I'm sure I'll upset some people here, but when did you transition from body bitch to tiny, tiny bubbles. bubbles? Okay. All right. Let's get to that one first. Then I'll go to the hypnosis. Uh, so I uh, was doing the tours as Bonnie Bitch. Uh, and getting quite the name built up for myself and all. And uh, a gentleman in Las Vegas, my name is Kenny Kerr. I don't, did you ever see or hear of Kenny Kerr's Boylesque show in Vegas? 
I haven't, to be honest. No. Legendary. He was there 25 years. Uh, he was the first real drag show uh, okay. that was at the Silver Slipper. And then he moved it around. Uh, he had all uh, impersonators that looked like famous stars. Uh, he was very funny, extremely funny, talented man who very much looked like a woman. And uh, he went by Kenny Kerr, Mr. Kenny Kerr. He didn't have a drag name. It was just Mr. Kenny Kerr. And he came out and did Boylesque. And uh, had all these impersonators that did Tina Turner and so forth and all in the show. And um, he uh, uh, he came and saw one of my Bonnie Bitch shows. And he approached me and he says, you are funny. You're talented. You're funny. You're going to work for me one day. And I went, okay, sounds great. And uh, he called me a year later and he says, I want you to come to Vegas. I'll offer you a job. I said, great. He's a, he was at the Sahara at that time. The Sahara showroom sat 800 people. And uh, I said, great. I says, what do I do? And he says, you're going to do the drawing board act. I use the Axtell drawing board and I have a, where I draw someone's caricature. See, thanks for okay. learning caricatures. Yeah. I drew, I draw someone out of the audience's caricature inside of 40 seconds. And then I lip sync a duet between me and the board it used to be somewhere out there and then the last wow. time last 10 years it was uh unforgettable and wow. uh i get done i wipe away the face very pretty act and then i blow out the spotlight and that was the end of my act uh and i was very well known for that um he says i want you to do that act and a couple other comedy pieces in the show i says great what do you pay and he says i'll pay you 500 dollars a week and i said i'm making almost two grand a night with my own show i'm putting after i pay all expenses eight to ten thousand dollars a week in my pocket why would i turn down 10 grand a week to work for 500 a week how many shows a week do i do 14 you do two shows a night and two nights you do three shows a night and i went what that doesn't make sense i can't no i'm sorry i, I he says but it's vegas i don't care you know, I'd, once I put it on, people are butts sitting in chairs are butts. I don't care if it's in a comedy club, in a gay bar. I don't care where it's at. If it's a nice showroom in Vegas, it's still human beings sitting in a chair watching me do my thing. And I want to make the most money I can for doing my thing. So I'm a businessman. So, and he says, all right, well, you're going to work for me one day. You're going to work for me one day. So I passed on it. Two years later, he calls me. I'm up in the Wisconsin Dells, living in the park, producing shows. He says, honey, he says, I just signed a contract with uh, uh, Hawaii and I'm opening up Boyless Hawaii and I want you to be the co MC of the show and I'll give you a thousand dollars a week. Now, still a lot less money than what I was making touring, but it's Hawaii. Now, I can't take my tour to Hawaii. I can't drive to Hawaii. And I went, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll sign that contract. So I did a year in Hawaii. I get to Hawaii, I get set up. I'm the co-MC of the show. Uh, Jana Steele was the uh, host of the show. Uh, she's a, a transsexual. She's passed on now, unfortunately. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman. She won uh, Las Vegas' most beautiful showgirl in Las Vegas. Uh, she was absolutely stunning. Uh, one of the first days of our rehearsals, the dre the our dressing rooms was in the building next door. We had to go down out at, out an alleyway, up a oh, fire wow. escape. And then down a cement hallway to different rooms that used to be Armada Inn that was now our dressing rooms. And we and you, there was no there was no audio 
between you just had to know you had to get dressed and get down there for your spot in the show. And so it was kind of racing, you know, and there was, there was only a room that was uh, five foot by five foot square stage, right. And stage left. And that was it. So they couldn't have you. So you stood out in the alley if you were there early waiting to go on. And we used those little side rooms for quick changes. And there was one point in the show where Jean and I both had to share this five by five foot square room with our dressers. And we had to strip naked, both of us strip naked and get into new costumes. I had never been around a transsexual before. And so I'm, it's kind of like the guy at the urinal. It's like trying to take little quick glances down and see, you know, so there used to be a penis there, huh? Okay. I, you know, I didn't want to get caught. And uh, so the first day we're doing our changes and I'm and she caught me and she says, honey, when we're done, will you come to my dressing room? I'd like to talk to you. And I went, uh, uh, sure. You bet. I knew I was bright red. I knew I got caught. So we get done. I go up, knock at her door. And uh, I say, uh, uh, she says, who is it? And I said, it's, it's, it's Steve. And she says, oh, come on in. And she uh, says, uh, lock the door. And I did. And she's wearing a robe. She says, now you and I have a year contract. We're going to be working together side by side. She says, so if you have any questions, now's the time to ask them. And she stood up and she dropped her robe and she was stark naked. And she says, look, look all you want. And I stood there like an auto mechanic. I went down with my hands on my knees and I looked right at her crotch and I'm staring at it. I'm like, you know, that far away from it and all going. And I said, well, it does look like a taco. That's amazing. And she's laughing. And I says, do me a favor. I said, we turn sideways. And she did. And I ran my hand down the side of her leg. And I said, turn around the other way. I ran my hand down. And that's odd. And she goes, what, what? And I says, lift your, lift your left foot. So she did. And I looked on the bottom of her foot. And she says, I says, lift your right foot. She does. She goes, what, what, what are you looking for? And I says, I'm trying to see where it says made in Japan. Cause you are absolutely perfect. You're like a Barbie doll. This is, am- I, there's no seams. Nothing. You're amazing. She started laughing so hard. And she says, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. She was truly a beautiful. Unfortunately, she had a drug problem and a drinking problem. And there was many nights where we would show up to do the show. She wasn't there. So I had to MC the entire show myself, which I was okay with. But yeah, still, we were supposed to be co-MCs and she just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we... We had a soft open. We invited some of the locals. And one of the persons that came was Don Ho. Don Ho was, uh, he was the Frank Sinatra of Hawaii. And uh, he came with his daughters and saw the show. And he pulled over the manager of the show. The manager comes to me and he says, Mr. Ho would like to talk to you. And he, I went up to him and I said, yes, Mr. Ho. And he says, you are funny. He says, you're, you're, you're beautiful. You're funny. You're great. I want you to come work for me. And I said, oh, well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, let me think about it. And I walked away. The manager came to me and he said, what do you mean you're going to think about it? And I said, I, I, you know, I've never been to Hawaii and I'm working six nights a week with this show. I really don't want to work all the time. I'd like to enjoy the island while I'm here. So I, I think I'm just going to pass. And he says, you don't understand. Don Ho gets what he wants. And if you don't do this show, our show will close in two weeks and all of us will be out of work. So you have to go work for this man. And I went, so what he wanted me to do was just make a a cameo appearance an hour before our show in his show at the uh, wind jammer. So I would get made up and go down to the wind jammer and his daughters taught me how to do the hula. And they made me a full hula 
outfit, the authentic hula skirt, coconut shells, uh, this huge blonde uh, white wig with flowers in it, uh, flower lay, flower lays on the wrist, uh, flower lays on my ankles. And uh, he would sit, he was an alcoholic, uh, wino, and he would play his organ and all. And behind him was a raised stage with an Austrian curtain. And he uh, says, oh, he's uh, darling. He's, and he, he was, he had like a, a, a molasses type voice. He says, darling, I'm telling you, he says, I have blue hairs. And my blue hairs, they're not going to go for the word bitch. So you've got to have another name. And I says, Mr. Ho, I, I don't care. I, I, it's just a character. I can be anything you want. It's fine. He says, well, you're going to do the hula as I sing the song Tiny Bubbles. Why don't you be Tiny Bubbles? And so I was named oh, Tiny my. Bubbles by Don Ho. So he would be in the middle of Tiny Bubbles in the wine. Make me feel happy. Make me feel fine. And as he did that, the Austrian curtain would come up and I'd be Tiny Bubbles in the wine. And i do all the the moves and people would laugh and I get done with it and it would get done. And he'd say, ladies and gentlemen, the beautiful Miss Tiny Bubbles. And there'd be applause. The eyes curtain come down and out the door. I went down the street and get ready. And I do my show then. So I did both shows going back and forth. So Don Ho named me Tiny Bubbles. Uh, backing it up a little bit in Vegas sharing the stage at the Sahara, since I was good friends with Kenny Kerr, I knew a lot of the people backstage, including a lady who was doing her show before Kenny Kerr's show. And that was Melinda, the first lady of magic. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah Mindy. And uh, I've known Mindy and her brother, David, David, since he was nine years old. Uh, so I've, I've known the family for quite some time. When I first saw Mindy, uh, I, uh, she was signing posters and I said, I have a collection of posters autographed to my stage name in my office in Phoenix. Is there any way that you would fill it out to Bonnie bitch? And she stopped and stared at me. She goes, Bonnie, what? I said, Bonnie bitch. I know. I'm sorry. I hope you don't mind. You know, otherwise you can do it, Steve, if you want. And she goes, no, no, this is great. She's too Bonnie bitch. All my love, you know, Melinda, she gave it to me and she says, sorry, everyone. I have to go. She grabbed my wrist. She says, come with me, come with me. And so we went backstage upstairs to the big dressing room. There's her mom, her sister, her brother, and a few other people and all. And she says, mom, mom, come here. I want you to meet Bonnie bitch. And her mother walks up to me, holds her hand out. I take her hand and she says, nice to meet you, but I'm Bonnie bitch. You can be Bonnie bitch number two. And everyone started laughing. And I was like, uh, I'm not in on this joke, you know? And she explained, she says, you have to understand my children. God love them. My name is Bonnie Sachs, and my children have forever called me Bonnie Bitch. Oh, excellent. So right. it's funny that I meet a female impersonator whose name is Bonnie Bitch. And so I said, oh, well, I ended up spending three hours with them backstage there talking, becoming friendly with the family and everyone else and all. So fast forward on now, Bonnie is, is divorced, and she's remarried. And I'm in Hawaii co-hosting this show. And she comes, she sees me. She goes, oh my God, Bonnie bitch. And I says, Shh. I says, it's tiny bubbles now. And she goes, oh, I, she saw the show. She loved it. So I go back after my contract's done. I go back to Wisconsin Dells. I'm back in this kitty park. I'm sad, producing shows again and all running this park. She calls me and she says, honey, she says, I want you to come to Vegas and replace Kevin James in a new show I've opened up called Showgirls of Magic. Oh, and I yeah. said, I said, well, I, 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 Kevin's a friend of mine. I really don't want to replace him. She says, well, I'm firing him. 
And he says, I, I'd like to talk to Kevin. She says, okay, do whatever you have to do. So I called Kevin and Kevin says, she's fucking nuts. But if you want to work for her, hey, go for it. That's fine. She, um, I love Bonnie to death. Uh, she, uh, has no real magic sense, I guess you might say. Uh, so imagine you're on a small stage theater seats, 200. Uh, it's like a double wide trailer. So it's really long, kind of like the magic circle theater, you know, it's just really okay. long, yeah. but, it, but it doesn't rake up. It's a flat floor. And then the stage is raised up by about four or four and a half feet off the floor and uh black curtain, black stage floor. And she does decolta chair sitting in front of the curtains uh decolta chair in case any of your viewers don't know no, it works with a trap door and so she cut a trap door in the stage in one which is in front of the main curtain so they could do this decolta chair the girls are dancers they're not magicians they're trained to do the magic but they're choreographed dancers they're wearing six inch stiletto Ooh. heels so as they're dancing they don't see the cut and their heels are getting caught in the cut of the trap door. So Bonnie's answer was to put white tape around the square. So the girls can see where that is. So they don't get their heels caught. That's cut everybody okay. else. Yeah. So yeah. 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 And amazingly, they set this chair over this white square and she vanishes. Hmm. Wonder how that happens. So Kevin oh, uh, doing his act, he's doing the floating rose. He brings a lady up on, on stage. What's the one line every magician uses? It seems like a hack line where you come up, stand here, stand on the, the trap, door. trap door. So he'd say, here, stand right here, stand on the trap door. Bonnie would say, what the hell are you doing? Don't tell everyone it's a trap door. Stop it. And he said, Bonnie, it's it's an old joke that we all know when it, hell, it is a trap door, you know? So, what it, so after two weeks of the show being open and him doing that every show, two shows a night, six nights a week, she had had enough. She was firing him. That was it. Antonio, the little four foot tall, perfectly proportioned little person that did Charlie Chaplin with Kevin. Yeah. Uh, he didn't want to, he'd been working with Kevin for eight years at that point. And he didn't want to work with Kevin anymore. He wanted to stay there and work in Showgirls of Magic. So she kept him. So she's in Hawaii. She's seeing me perform there. And uh, she calls me then a year later. I'm in the Dells. And she says, honey, I want you to come work for me in Vegas in my show, Showgirls of Magic, and replace Kevin. Will you work with a midget? And I went, uh, sure. So after talking to Kevin, I went, all right, yeah, I'll do it. So she says, well, you're not going back to amusement parks. You're going to be a Vegas kid. You're going to work for me. And I was all right. So I, and I thought, okay, it's Vegas. I've been 18 years of touring and I'm tired. I, 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 I want to sleep in my own bed. I don't want to sleep in a hotel room every night. I want to vacuum my own floor. I want friends. I want to be able to go out to dinner with friends. Mm -hmm. So it's time. It's time. So I go to Vegas and my contract is I get $50 a show, $100 a night, $600 a week. I pay for my own apartment. I pay for my own food, blah, 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 blah. So it's a big cut from $10,000 a week to $600 a week. And I'm doing 12 shows a week. Great. Um, I get partnered up with Antonio and uh, she says, okay, I'm going to have you do your fat share. So I've got this share outfit with the big hair and so forth and all. And then out came little Sonny Bono and we would do, I got you, babe. And so we were a fat share and little Sonny Bono. And uh, that we ended up on HBO with that and a bunch of other appearances and all. It really was a very funny act. Um, so I'm doing that. And, uh, uh, I, I was with the show for 11 years, uh, but 
nine years into it, uh, oh, not nine years, I'm sorry, take that back, four years into it, I'm everyone likes me at this hotel, everything's going really well. And uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to back it up just a second. I'll just, cause I want to get this story out too. Then I'll okay. in the show was uh, uh, Los Latin Cowboys. They're Argentinian Cowboys. They do the, the balls on the end of ropes. That they bang, 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 bang on the oh, floor, yeah. stage floor. They got the drums that they beat and uh, they're in the show also. And it's my first night. I'm, I'm a farm boy from Iowa. I've never been on a Vegas stage. So my first night I'm doing the drawing board. I'm standing there. And of course, looking at the board, I can see off stage left into the wings. And I'm, I, as I'm, I'm doing the act, I'm looking over Ugo, one of the two are uh, cowboys who plays a gay character. He's married, he's straight, but he plays a gay character on stage. He's got his pants pulled all the way down around his ankle. So he's bare butt on the, all fours on the stage floor in the wings. And Antonio, the little guy has his pants pulled down. He's standing behind him. He's slapping Ugo's butt going, Take it all, bitch. Take it all. And I'm going, oh, oh, my God. What the hell have I got myself into is what I'm thinking in my mind. I'm lip syncing and doing the drawing board routine. And I thought, oh, my God, what the hell? I looked over again, and Ugo turns around, looks over his shoulder at me, and he says, you're next. And I was like, oh, crap. What the hell? I mean, it was very scary to this farm kid, Green, you know. I was like, oh, my God, I can't. We ended up becoming very good friends, very funny stuff. Uh, one night, we did two shows a night, 8 o'clock and 10.30. 8 o'clock show, uh, I'm on stage doing my act. One of the gauchos comes out and says, hey, hey, Tiny, Tiny. I said, yeah. And I, I know improv. Improv, you just go with it. You don't say no. You say yes, and you just go with it. And he goes, Tiny, we're ordering a pizza. What, 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 what do you want on it? And I said, pepperoni, of course. And he goes, okay, thanks. And walked away. And they're all, because they interrupt my act. They thought they were being cute. And I went on with the act. So what did I do? In between shows, I called Domino's Pizza. I order a pepperoni pizza. And I tell them, find me a driver who has a sense of humor. Oh, we got the perfect guy. He's a ex-theater kid. Oh, great. Perfect. Send him. So I set him up what to do and all. And I tell him, I said, I want you to come in during their act. So second show, in the middle of their act, this pizza delivery guy comes in up on stage with the pizza and he goes pizza delivery pepperoni pizza and they went uh and then he goes 14.95 and sticks his hand up 14.95 <laughs> and they're like well we're in the middle and he says i gotta have it got it you know and it takes excellent and the guy would not budge so they put their drums down they pull out their bill folds they're in the middle of the show they're going through what do you got i, I got four yeah oh yeah nine okay well then they're putting their money together then all they oh there you go and he goes a tip they went oh well uh, yeah okay here a couple of bucks and all he goes okay thanks have a good night and he walked off through the very straight faced like it was just another delivery i'm laughing my ass off watching all this i have a robe on and a towel wrapped on my hair like the wet hair type thing and all in full makeup i come out on stage after they get in paying this guy i take the pizza and i go oh good it came thanks and i walk backstage with it and they're like uh okay and they went back into their act the girls in the show antonio and myself we all ate the pizza leaving just the crust and we left the box with just the crust on their station went there you go so they paid for our pizza for the night then and all and i'm like yeah screw with me watch what happens you know this is so we had a lot of fun with the show. We had a lot of fun with the show, but 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Joe Stevens, uh, Stevens Magic, uh, from Wichita, yeah, Kansas, yeah. was doing uh, the Desert Seminar Magic Convention at the Tropicana, which is right across the parking lot from the San Remo where Showgirls of Magic was. And Gary Darwin and a few other magicians there locally I'd become friends with and all. Everyone talked about how they had magic props sitting in their uh, in their uh, garage or in a storage locker that they wanted to sell. And I said, why don't you guys have like a, a big garage sale? You know, I mean, my God. And they said, uh, Gary said, you know, and everyone take their phones and sit on it. Like, yeah, well, it's a good idea, but uh, no one do anything. Gary says, listen, you're all trying to do this. Why don't you do it? Why don't you put together a flea market? So I thought, well, when's a good time to do a flea market? The week before 600 magicians from all the world comes to Vegas? This is the week afterwards? No, how about the week 600 magicians come to this convention right across the street, right across the parking lot, I mean. So yeah. I went to the San Remo. to the. They had a 4,000-square-foot ballroom. They rented it to me dirt cheap, uh, eight-foot tables. I could put 50 eight-foot tables in there. I put ads in uh, Linking Rings, Mum, Genie. Uh, Magic Magazine, I put half-page ads in all of them for six months advertising the Las Vegas Magic Exchange. And it was going to happen Sunday and Monday of the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday convention over across the parking lot. And it was $5 to get in. And if you liked it on Sunday, you could buy a, this is a great swap meet. I have to come back tomorrow for for $2.50. And I knew that if I sat at the door, I'd be like, oh, I know you go on in. Oh, I know you go on in. I wouldn't make any money. So I flew my mom and dad in who didn't know magicians. And I had them set. Now, my mom's an old, she's like, a, she's an old farm woman. And uh, she doesn't give a talk about anyone. And uh, <laughs> so she doesn't care who you are. And so she's sitting there. She's taking the $5. My dad comes up to me a little bit into it and says, hey, your mom needs help at the front door. I went to the front door. I said, mom, what's going on? She goes, here. She grabbed $5. She says, I want you to find this asshole and throw him out of here. And I went, mom, 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 these are friends of mine. You can't talk like this. She says, well, he came up and he said, lady, don't you know who I am? I've written seven books on magic. She says, I told him, I don't give a fuck who you are. It's five bucks or get out. She says, he <laughs> threw this $5 bill at me and walked in. She says, and we had a, a little stamp that we'd stamp on the back of everyone's hands that had a bunny on it. And she says, he didn't even let me put the bunny stamp on him. He just walked on in. And I went, well, wait, he, someone threw money at you? Yeah, I said, all right, they're out. I grabbed the five dollar bill. I said, where are they? I'm giving their five bucks. They're out. And she goes, she's looking around. She goes, there he is, that tall one. It was Pendulette. <laughs> and I laughed. I went because Pendulette is known in Vegas for not paying to get into anything. He'll walk right in to any show, Cirque du Soleil. If Ringling Brothers Barnaby the Circus comes to town, he doesn't pay. He just walks right in. He just you don't you know who I am. Walks right in. And uh, I, I, I was like. You got $5 out of Penn Gillette. I took the bunny stamp. I went, chunk, chunk. we're hanging on it. I still have that $5 bill. It's framed. Excellent. I have that. Yes. There's a, and I, I, Penn and I are friends. And I, I told him that story. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember your mom. Oh, man, she got five bucks out of me. Oh, it was really funny. Um, but because I did that, uh, I had uh, Shimada selling stuff. I had uh, uh, Lance Burton's costumer. I had a guy with a, an eagle and a tiger you get a photo with. Uh, we had electronic magic. We had, I mean, it was just, it was a who's who. Daryl was there. There was a bunch of name magicians and non-names. Wow. Everyone's selling all sorts. It was huge. And uh, Joe's attendance for his convention went to 1,300 people that year. And primarily because people came for this swap meet on top of his. He was Excellent. livid. He was livid that I did this. 
to the point where he called Bonnie Sachs uh, until four in the well, morning. Hang on a minute, morning. Bob. His, his attendance went up and he was still... Yes, yes, yes. Now, understand, at his convention in the dealer's room, it was his dealer's room. No one else was allowed to mm-hmm. be a dealer. And he it was all him. So uh, uh, he, he, yeah, he was he was pissed that someone else was doing a dealer room, you know, and taking his customers is how he felt. Uh, he called Bonnie until four in the morning saying, fire that fat asshole. How dare he? Uh, there was three others uh, named people in Vegas that were calling Bonnie and telling her, get rid of him, get rid of him. You know, you can't. He shouldn't be there. And um, four weeks later, uh, they're still calling her. Uh, Owen's magic wouldn't sell her props anymore until they fired me. Uh, There was people were making, you know, no, you're not. So after four weeks, uh, we were dark on Mondays. So Sunday night was our last night before we had our day off. And four weeks later on a Sunday night, she came to me after the second show and shed tears in her eyes. She says, honey, that was your last show. I have to let you go. She's there still, still coming after me. And I was like, uh, okay. So I was let go from the show. I packed up my stuff and went home, got home at two o'clock in the morning, went to bed. And at 8 a.m., six hours later, I get a phone call and it's Nobert Alleman who uh, owned the show Crazy Girls and An Evening at Lacage. And he had tried three and four times each year to get me to quit Showgirls of Magic and come work for him at Evening at Lacage. Uh-huh. And uh, he's, he's French very deep voice and he says hello i understand you're currently unemployed and this is you know and i looked at the clock with one eye i have open and i says yeah six hours ago and he says it's a very small town he says i want you to yeah. go to aruba i want you to go to aruba for me i said aruba he says yes you leave in two weeks uh okay so i went from one job to the next one i packed up get rid of my apartment and uh flew to Aruba with a two-week contract. And uh, after two weeks, he gave me two more weeks. After those two weeks, he signed me a six-month contract. After that six months, he signed me to an even bigger contract, having me do magic in the show and do uh, strolling magic in the restaurant before the show. He had me do line entertainment before the show. And then and I switched costumes each time. And then I was the maitre d' or maitre d'is or whatever you call it. Uh, so when people would come in, I'd say, how many are two? this way right here and i had different people run them to tables and all and i made extra money that way too than and all so i'm on this island in aruba getting paid he says uh, how much was bonnie paying you and i told him and by that point i got a raised 800 a week and he says i'll double it i'll give you 1600 a week and i'll put you in a two-bedroom two-bath two-story townhouse in aruba and it's all tax-free and i went <clears throat> i'm there that's fine mm-hmm. so i ended up working in aruba stockpiling money saving it away and uh did really well with that. After 13 months in Aruba, he offered me a five-year contract. Have you ever been to Aruba? I haven't, no. Aruba is seven miles wide and 16 miles long. You can rent a rental car and drive around the entire island in 20 minutes. So you get island fever pretty fast. Uh, I'm not a beach guy. Uh, when I lay on the beach, people start yelling, rolling back in the water, save the whale, save the, you know, I just, so I, I didn't take it. And I, I ended up leaving the show and I came back to the States. I should back it up here a second with Showgirls of Magic. Um, I, when I went to work for Bonnie Sachs, 
she had me do the fat share with Sonny Bono. And she, my first week there, she says, honey, she says, you're very funny. And you're about 350 pounds. And you make the little guy look little, but if you can get up to 500 pounds, you'd make the midget look smaller and it'd be better for the show. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I started putting packing on the weight and I went up to 503 to 513 for 18 years. I weighed 503 to 513. I had several heart attacks on stage. Uh, the last one in zombie burlesque, I had nine too severe, drove myself to the hospital. Uh, they had to go through my wrist and put stints into my heart. Uh, one day later, I was back in the show working again. Uh, so my health wasn't the best in any way, shape or form. Um, but when I came back from Aruba, uh, I, uh, uh, went, uh, I got a call from six flags in Houston at Astroworld. They wanted me to come down there and do some costuming work and show work for them down there. So I went down there, started working for them. And, uh, that was 1999 and, uh, season ended and Antonio called me and he said, Hey, I just got us a year at the crazy horse in Paris, France. We're going to do oh, sunny right. and share. We're going to yeah. do sunny and share. That's it. Two shows a night, seven nights a week for a year contract. And it, it, the pay was really good. It was an apartment right around the corner. And I said, great. Sounds good. I'm that's fantastic. I'm now I'm going. So I've just my whole life. Again, those doors, that hallway door cracks open. Okay. We're going to go down. You know, let's go, let's go. Um, so I'm ready to do that. I uh, finished my contract with Six Flags. It's now November. And I call my mom in Iowa here on the farm. And I said, hey, I just accepted a contract. I'm going to Paris, France, the middle of December. So I'm going to come home for three weeks before I leave and spend time with you and dad on the farm. And, you know, we'll have an early Christmas and then I'll I'll head over to Paris. And she says, oh, I don't I don't know how to tell you this. She says, your father's just been diagnosed with cancer. He's got four to six weeks to live. And I thought, Ugh. and my dad and I were never really close, but I thought, you know what? Paris will always be there. Dad won't. So I called Antonio and I said, I have to cancel. I can't do it. I've got to go home, take care of my dad. And uh, so I canceled that contract. I came back here to the farm and uh, was here on the farm. Uh, so here it is November and I'm sitting with no job, no work on a farm. And wintertime, there's no work on the farm anyway. And I thought, I got to do something. There was no magic shops here in Des Moines, Iowa. And so I I thought, all right, let's open up a magic shop just for the Christmas season. And uh, I thought, where do I go? Oh, I'll go to the mall and have a kiosk. That was three to $4,000 to rent a kiosk mall type thing. And I'll, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, I'll never make any money. I can't sell enough thumb tips to make that pay. So uh, I thought, all right, I'll go to Walmart. Everyone goes to Walmart. I'll, I'll have a little booth in Walmart called Walmart. And they said, we'd love it, but we don't allow any outside vendors the months of November and December because they want all the money for Christmas. So I thought and thought that and I says, where do families go every week, at least once, maybe two or three times a week that I could see grocery store. And when I was very young, 14, 15, I worked for a grocery store here called hy V, And so I approached hy V locally here and uh, they have a ton of stores and uh, pitched it to them. And I said, uh, you know, I'd like to do this magic shop and they would get 50 cents off each item I sell. If it sells for $3, sells for $50. You get 50 cents off each item. A lot of people don't know the grocery stores work off of volume. So a can of peas, they make two cents. Uh, a can of corn, they might make four cents. So they just were, you know, they're hoping everyone buys a lot of it. And then all those pennies add up to their profits. And um, 
So at 50 cents per item, they're like, that's a lot. Yeah, we'll, we'll take that. So uh, I opened up the magic shop. I averaged between $2,000 a week uh, for five weeks uh, running a magic shop there, which was good money. I threw it in the bank and that coasted me through with no problem. Uh, we got through 2000 uh, and I'm now on the farm in 2000. I'm farming now with dad and we got crops coming in and I'm back to being a farm kid now. So, Hey, I guess that was my entertainment life. Now I'm back to being on the farm and David Sachs, Mindy's brother, Melinda, the first lady of magic, her brother mm-hmm. calls me and says, Hey, I bought the show, Showgirls magic for my mom. I want you and Antonio back in the show. Can you come? And I went, uh, well, and he says, come, why don't you come out September 13th? We'll have you open September 13th. And I says, well, he wanted me to come then in August. And I said, I, I can't. It, I got fields to bring in. And he goes, fields? I'm offering you a job in Vegas. And I says, I have fields to harvest and bring in. I can't come right now. There's no way. The soonest would be September. And he's, all right. So we agreed on September 13th. And then September 11th happened with the okay, trade center. Yeah. And he calls me on the 12th and says, you're going to be here tomorrow night, right? For the show. And I went, David, they just blew up New York City. Where do you think they're going to blow up next? A little farm town in Iowa or Las Vegas? My happy fat ass is staying right here on the farm in Iowa. I'm not coming to Vegas. There's no way. And he says, oh, come on, Tiny. You promised me. Come on, come on, come on. So we agreed to let it ride for a couple of months and see how things went. And I went back and joined the show in uh, November 22nd and uh, stayed with the show until it closed uh, with Antonio as my partner. Antonio and I were uh, stage partners for 11 years. And uh, then we closed the show. We were opening a new show at the Sahara called Buck Wild. It was a country western show. And uh, Antonio needed work for the two or three weeks that we were going to be down. I said, call Kevin James and see if he can work you again. Kevin had me going to Japan, could use him. He went back with Kevin and he never came back. He said he was going to come back four weeks later and he didn't. Uh, during that time, we opened up Buck Wild. Uh, I had to do Dolly Pardon and out from underneath my dress came a mini Rogers. David wanted me to have a midget come out as a little person, come out as a mini Rogers, a little Kenny Rogers. <laughs> and um, so I called a friend of mine, Felix Silla. Felix Silla was the original cousin it from the Adams family TV show. Right. Uh, he was in a lot of different movies too. And uh, so I called him, got him dressed up. He did a week with me at the Sahara. He's used to movies where the camera's right on your face, you know, and you're doing it that way and all. He'd never worked a live stage show before. So he would literally turn with his back of the audience and stand with the mic looking at me going, what do I do now? What do I do? I don't know what to do. What do you want to do? And we got 800 people watching and I'm lip syncing as we're doing islands in the stream. And I'm like, just go i'm doing ventriloquism just act just do it just you know do something so david came to me and he says get rid of him find a new little person so i did uh got shorty rossi shorty rossi uh ended up doing the run with me for a year there and my stage name there was little debbie i was the cutest little cupcake on the las vegas strip little debbie uh in a little cowgirl type outfit uh so if I back it up again now, Showgirls of Magic, it's 2006. Uh, Chris Angel came to the show to see topless girls doing magic hey. and uh, thought it was hot. He was working with Dragoon. Uh, Dragoon with uh, Cirque du Soleil was the creative director and all. Uh, he was working on his own TV show that was going to be called Mind Freak. 
And uh, he came back then the second time because uh, I fooled him. He had no idea that I was a man. He thought I was a fat woman. Uh, came back a second time just to watch me. He came back a third time with his manager to watch me. And Gregoon had told him, quit thinking of costume characters and building characters that way. Look at people. Look at, you know, bizarre. That's how Cirque works. You know, they, their ads when they do auditions is, are you ugly? Do your friends think that you're not a very good looking person? You're who we want. Come, come audition for us. You know, they're looking for the bizarre, the weird, the, you know, you're not the perfect body, the perfect type. And uh, so uh, we sat down. Antonio and I were working together on a lot of different projects. And uh, Chris says, we want you for the show. You're our first character we're hiring for the family. And uh, you'll be the, the mother of magic. And I says, okay. I says, what does Antonio do? And the manager says, we don't want the fucking midget. I went, oh, deal breaker. Sorry. Good luck with your show. I have no interest. And, he, and Chris says, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Tell, tell, me, tell me more about uh, Antonio. And so I did. And he says, well, bring him by for an audition Sunday. And Antonio does an audition. He's been, he's done movies. He's done TV. He's done, he's worked all over the world. He does not audition, but he and I were working on a Sopranos act, uh, the mob Sopranos. Mm -hmm. And we had sunglasses and matching suits. I wasn't in drag for this act. And, uh, he would grab his tie and so, and he fixes where his head. So what, what do you think? I'd, that was his little characters, this whole thing. So, uh, we went up to Chris's, uh, suite at the Aladdin uh, on that Sunday, I says, yeah, says, this guy wants us to, to go up and just meet him and talk to him. He's all right. So I went up and I said, Chris says, so what do you do? And I says, oh, we've been working on this act. Antonio, put on your sunglasses. Show him the, the whole Guido thing. And so he did. And he started, eh, you know, and everyone's laughing. You know, Johnny Thompson's there. Everyone's laughing. They're, oh, this is funny. This is funny. And uh, Chris says, that's funny. And I says, yeah. He says, you know, Antonio could be your uh, bodyguard. And Chris went, oh, a midget bodyguard that Luigi. Oh my God. Yes, that's great. So the family originally was just four and they added Antonio to make five. And so I became Ginger on the TV show, The Mother of Magic. The show that Chris had designed, I got to give him props. It was a great idea. Uh, the idea was that he was going to be on stage in Vegas performing a trick. And all of a sudden the camera go whoosh right up to the camera, whoosh, back out again, up to his eye and back out again. And he'd be out in the middle of this desert. Let's say he's doing the water torture cell and he's on stage in the water torture cell, whoosh, up to the eye, whoosh, back out again. Torture cell is sitting out in the middle of this desert. Very Fellini-esque uh, type, uh, very uh, Salvador Dali type imagery. And none of us spoke. It was all with our minds. And so you would see me, the mother of magic, the caring of magic, uh, standing next to the water torture cell. And you'd hear my voice say, Chris, why are you doing this? It's so dangerous. And Chris would say, well, it's an old trick. Houdini did it. Houdini did die in it. Da, 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 da. And then Johnny Thompson, who was the classic of magic, his character would be there and be like, yes, it was a classic of magic. And then Houdini did die in it. So they give a little history lesson on the trick. And then the camera would whoosh up to his eye again, whoosh back out. He'd be on stage in Vegas again. Just for any magical purists, we know Houdini didn't die in it. That was just yes, narrative yes, for the public. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, <laughs> so then he would finish the trick on stage in Vegas, and that was it. And also, that was the whole idea behind Mind Freak, Mind Freak, 
of mm -hmm. the family and help tell the history and that type of thing and all. And A&E Network wanted three things. They wanted reality TV. They wanted a David Copperfield big finale trick. You know, make sure you come back. Watch the end of this episode because Chris is going to catch a bullet with his teeth you know, type thing. And, uh, and they wanted, uh, they wanted it very casual. They wanted it, a uh, camera going behind the scenes type thing. So we filmed behind the scenes and showing a lot of setup and stuff and so forth and things without exposing anything. There was no CGI at all. Everything was set up at one point. Chris was, uh, doing a skip rope with Antonio holding onto the other, or, I'm sorry, uh, Leilani, the pretty sexy girl was holding the other end of the rope Antonio was watching a, a clicker and this the little kid was jump roping and uh, Johnny Thompson and I were sitting in chairs watching this and Chris would let go of the rope and walk and it still kept going on its own broad daylight outdoors full sun and I leaned over to Johnny as we're filming and I said if I wasn't sitting right here right now I would swear that was CGI I'd swear it it was so well done and uh no cgi everything was no camera tricks it was all rigged up and done out in the middle of this desert and uh so we we uh as time went on uh chris increasingly became more egotistical uh at one mm -hmm. point uh we, we we had to so antonio and i was doing showgirls of magic 8 and 10 30 we get down around 12 30 1 o'clock in the morning I would drop Antonio off. I would get to my apartment around two in the morning. I'd sleep until 2.30, 2.45, like a half hour, 45 minute nap. Get back up, shower and shave again, go pick up Antonio. And then I'd have to be have him and I at the Aladdin for a motor home. They had one for the girls and one for the boys. And we had to drive two and a half hours to three hours drive outside of Vegas to a location to film all these little pieces. And, uh, we got on the bus, and so there's Johnny, there's the nine-year-old boy who played the imagery of Houdini, uh, Chris, Antonio, and myself, the five of us on this bus. And we're riding along, and we were going through scripts for the day, what we're going to do. We're all tired. After the first week, we're all, like, just dragging because we would go out there. We'd film from 6 a.m. until 6 6 30 p.m and then uh the pa would put antonio and i in a car and we go 90 95 miles an hour back to vegas we get into the showroom at about 10 minutes till eight for the eight o'clock show i would change makeup and then i was on it i was on at 809 because i was the mc of the show and uh i'd do the eight o'clock the 10 30 back home another half hour before i'm asleep and then back and this it was draining on me i was getting really really tired so I told him, I said, uh, Chris was tired. Johnny was up in age. He was tired. The little kid was nine years old for crying out loud. Here it is three o'clock in the morning. And, uh, I said, listen, we've got a king size bed in the back there, this trailer, you know, this mobile thing and all we got a three hour ride. Let's all just sleep. I said, Chris, you're the star of the show. And if you go down, there is no filming. So you need to get your rest. So you need to sleep in that bed. Johnny, you're up in age. You need to rest too. You sleep there too. It's king size bed. There's plenty of room. It's a nine year old kid. You can get in the bed too because it is. It's a king size bed. There's plenty of room. There's no, you know. Antonio could sleep on the couch because it was like a king size bed for him because he was a little person. And uh, they said, "Well, Tiny, here you get in bed with us too." Well, there was like that much space left on the bed after everyone else 
filled it up. And I went, I'm not, no. I grabbed a pillow and a blanket and I laid on the floor and I said, I'm fine right here. Everyone just sleep. It's just three hours, just a nap. I laid down the first time that I did that. All of a sudden the covers lifted up and I see this big muscular hand come around on my chest and it it's a thin little walkway. So we're spooning and I look over my shoulder and it's Chris and Chris looks at me and he says, you're as much a star of this show as I am. So if the floor is good enough for you, the floor is good enough for me. So oh. we slept. Yeah, we slept spooning wise for two weeks yeah. every morning with i so i've slept with chris angel uh, <laughs> that's terrible but uh, uh but unfortunately over time chris his ego got to him we would look at dailies which is the end of the day you go through all the footage you shot and uh we go through dailies and he would say oh my hair is going this way the wind blew it let's cgi it so that my hair is going this way then and johnny and i'd be like no leave it natural leave it the way don't cgi stuff that's where you start and uh, it ended up with lots of fights and stuff and all. Uh, I did three seasons. We all did three seasons on the show. Uh, Cirque du Soleil bought the show and was going to put in Mind Freak at the Luxor. Uh, they called us in uh, one at a time and offered us uh, $200,000 a year for 10 years. So it was a $2 million contract to do Mind Freak at the Luxor. Uh, we, the five of us sat down, had dinner, and we all five decided that $2 million was not enough to spend 10 more years with Chris Angel. So we all five quit. So we all walked away from $2 million contracts and said, nope, not what we want. We're done. Tell you when I release this video and podcast tomorrow, in close to the top of the description, I'll be going, watch and listen to discover what caused Steve Daly to walk away from a $2 million <laughs> there you go. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 So, um, yeah, I didn't, I, we, we didn't do that. Um, and, um, I won't go into it. There was a young kid that I mentored, uh, that, uh, I invented a trick. Uh, I, 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 I invented the trick. I had been on the show. I had a credit on the show, so forth and all. I'm very much a giving type person. I like to give as much as I possibly can to help others because some people have helped me in my career. So this kid was 19, 20, uh, maybe 21. Uh, I gave him the trick, taught him the trick, had him practice it a little bit. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to take you to Chris Angel privately. You're going to do the trick for him and Johnny and a few other people. And then uh, Banachek. And uh, when we're done with the trick and all, I says, I want you to give the trick to Chris free of charge. I said, Chris is going to do a video. He's going to sell the trick and you're going to be on the video next to Chris Angel teaching your trick. Okay. And that way you'll have a credit when he does it on the TV show for that one episode, you'll have a credit as a magic consultant. Uh, so you'll have a TV credit at the age of 20 or whatever it was. And all. I thought it was a generous thing to do. I thought it was a nice yeah, thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, so I take him up. Sure. He does the trick. He does it poorly. Everyone catches on to what's going on. Uh, Chris sits down. So it's Chris, myself, this other kid. And Chris says, okay, so I want the trick. How much? And the kid says, I'll get back to you on that. And I went, no, you're you're going to give it to him. And Chris says, no, 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 no. I don't want to take things from your friend, Steve. He says, I'll, I'll pay for it. I said, no, no, no. He's, he's going to give it to you. It's, it's yours, free. And, uh, 
this kid says, well, I used to work in a magic shop, you know, and it's a, it's a secret we sell, you know, everything's valuable. So yeah, I'll, I'll come up with the price. And I went, we got to go. And we walked out. I was fuming. I said, mm. I invented that trick. I gave it to you free of charge. What the hell are you selling it for? Well, this was the deal. You were to give it to Chris. That's all there was to it. And he goes, no, no, Steve. I, I, yeah. So we get back. I had a, he got, I, the apartment complex I lived in. I got him an apartment in that complex. So he was living right across from me. He came down to my office one day in my apartment, sits down the next day. I mean, sits down, puts his feet on my desk. And he says, okay, I think I'm going to tell him I want 10000 for it, $10,000 for the trick. He says, so call him up and I'll, I'll arrange it. And I went, no. And I had Chris's personal cell number. I said, no. He says, well, uh, all right, tell you what, just call Chris, give me the phone and you leave and I'll handle it. And I went, no, you're giving the trick to him. You're not. So we had words and I said, get the hell out of my apartment. I don't want to talk to you anymore. You're done. And when people piss me off that way, it's they're they're dead to me. I can walk right past them. I don't even see them. I won't acknowledge you. I won't talk to you. You're just dead. You're out of my life. And I don't, and I, I can live my life easier that way. You know, I'm fine that way doing that. So I would see him passing by in the next week or two and all. He'd say, Hey, how you doing? Keep right on walking. I didn't talk to him. Nothing. I get a call from a friend, Johnny Thompson. He says, Hey, he says, uh, Chris bought that trick for $8,000. I went, what? No. So I call Chris. Chris gets very upset with me that, you know, Steve, I already got the paperwork. I got the attorneys on it. No, I've already given the money. I, oh, and he hung up on me. Chris was now pissed off at me. Uh, I get a call back from Chris's assistant, who's 20. Uh, he uh, says, hey, I have this other kid on the other line. Uh, tell me your version of the story. I told him. And he says, well, I was here and I saw that you you said it was his trick. And I said, no, I, I gave it to him, you know, to give to Chris. That's how it is. And I ended up, he pushed my buttons. He says, I don't believe you. And I'm like, listen, kid, you're a 20 year old snot nosed kid. You know, you don't know crap. And uh, he was pushing my buttons pretty hard. I said a word I shouldn't have said. I called this kid something I shouldn't have. Uh, I was raised that this word, I won't say the word, but this word meant to lie, to cheat, and to deceive or steal. And if you add another word to this word, then you're putting a certain ethnic group down by calling them this name. Okay. So by not using that ethnicity and just using that word, I thought I was using it properly. And I said, no, you know, he's, he's a blank. And this kid says, Hey, I'm that ethnicity. And, uh, he said, so fuck you. And I went, well, clean out your ears. I didn't say a blank blank. I said, he's a blank. And he says, yeah, I know how we're going to handle this. And he hung up on me. And that was the last time Chris Angel ever talked to me. And uh, I was kind of banned and shunned away from all of that. Uh, in fact, is in Chris's book, he names everyone else, but he just says a drag queen played ginger. He doesn't even say my name or doesn't give me credit or anything like that with all that. So That's it is so what sad. it is. And, and I, 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 I don't own a TV. Uh, a friend of mine bought me a TV after the show aired. I watched 
uh, five minutes of the first episode and turned it off. It's a piece of crap. I hate the show. Not because of what happened here and all. I hated it before all that went down. I was like, this is not because A&E didn't like the family idea, didn't like the whole thing. And so they chopped it up. So a lot of what we filmed went on the floor, uh, the cutting room floor. Uh, a lot of the ideas were just nixed and uh, it just, it didn't, it didn't play. So we lost out on that, unfortunately. No. Uh, so sad. So uh, I end up that same time. I end up getting. I, I audition with eight hundred American heavyset people. Again, I was five thirteen, five oh three, uh, to come to England and film uh, Fat Man's Warning. Uh, Fat Man Warning has uh, aired nine times. I know it's aired nine times because I've gotten fan mail nine times uh, from England. Uh, and uh, it's it'll never air in America. It is a bit embarrassing if anyone ever watches it. I am very open and I'm very honest. And I talk about all sorts of things that fat people go through uh, in their lives. And it isn't pretty in any way, shape, or form. Uh, when I auditioned, uh, they said, oh, we love the fact that you do the drag. We love the fact that you do the magic and the puppets and the comedy. And, oh, you're perfect for this. And all. We filmed two weeks in Vegas, one week here in Iowa on the farms, and then four weeks in England. And we went all over Ipswich and Sheffield and Boston and uh, Blackpool and London. And we went all over filming. I love your country. Absolutely love your country. Your people are sweet. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, the one thing that impressed the hell out of me, and I can, I've banged this drum in America ever since, and that is your your traffic lights are brilliant. Just bloody brilliant. Uh, you, you've got... Um, you, your, your lights go, just like in America, it's red, yellow, and green. And so it's green, you take off. And then uh, it's uh, yellow and then red here in America. And then it goes green. And so when you're sitting at the intersection and it goes green, it's like the Indy 500. Everyone just takes off as fast as they can. Some people don't. Some people do. It's a mess. But in England, they go green, yellow, red, yellow, green. So when you're stopped, all of a sudden, then it'll go yellow, and you'll see all the cars start slowly going forward, and then green, and they go. And I'm like, this is so, it's so smart. What the hell's wrong with Americans? You got to get, got to put the yellow back in there in between. This is so dumb that we just take off, you know. So I just, I, I love your country to death. I really do. Uh, and enjoyed it immensely. Fish and chips. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Uh, sweets. Okay, it's candy, but it's sweets, you know, and I, I, I and the crisp and uh, your uh, uh, trunk sales. I went trunk sailing. Uh, where you, well, uh, boot, boot, boot. Yeah, we call them yeah, car boot, boot sales. Yeah, yeah, boot, yeah, yeah. yeah boot, boot sales. Yeah, I went boot sailing. I just, I, I was like, man, I love this so much. They put me up in a flat one block from Tower Bridge. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was very nice. It was very nice. They yeah. really took care of me. Uh, they did fill the fridge. What they thought, what they thought was enough food for a month, I opened it up and I went, "That's going to last me three days." I mean, come on! And they went, "Well, well, uh, your portions are really small." I was a five hundred pound man. I'm like, mm -hmm. "You're starving me down here." I can't believe, but uh, it was. It, I still, I enjoyed the hell out of it. So I really want to come back, and I, I plan on coming back sometime and all. Um, but at that time. I uh, uh, realized that because of my weight and how hard it was for me to move, uh, getting because I was getting up in age, uh, I thought, you know, I don't want to. I, 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 my my career in Vegas was kind of up in the air. Uh, there, there weren't any shows for me to go into at that time, uh, so I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? I got to work something. All 
I didn't want to haul an 18 foot backdrop animals, illusions and all that stuff anymore. What could I do that would make me the same $1,800, $2,000 a night with one costume and one little bag of props that I could get on a plane and go to hypnosis. I fucking hate hypnosis shows. Hate them. They're boring as all hell. They're boring as all hell. They're boring as all hell. I, I, try to watch hypnosis shows and they're not entertainers they know what clothes are gonna eat or in fact most of them are not entertainers i would say 95 percent and i'm yes. talking yes. worldwide here yes 95 yes. percent are hypnotists they might be good yes. hypnotists but they're yes. not entertainers and then you've yes. got just a few that are exactly exactly so i Having having watched, I, I was hypnotized when I was younger doing caricatures at a county fair by Jim Wand. Jim oh, yeah. Wand just passed away, and he was kind of a name with hypnosis and all. And uh, so I I came home and I, I started studying Jim Wand, and then I studied uh, Pat Collins and uh, the lady hypnotist, singing yep, but, singing lady hypnotist. Yep, yep, the hip hypnotist. And uh, uh, then I. Uh, uh, Ended up uh, working for Dr. Scott Lewis here in Las oh, Vegas. Yeah. In Las Vegas, uh, he sadly he sadly passed, passed on. Um, yep, yep. While he was on tour with the Illusionists. The Illusionists. Yep, he and was in appears, Australia. It appears he was climbing from one balcony to another. Yep. We yep, don't yep. know why, but he I do know him. why. I do, do know oh. why. I do. I know the inside story. Let me tell you. Uh, the uh, uh, having worked with uh, uh, Scott for a year. Uh, as his assistant and him training me to do the hypnosis shows at the Riviera in Las Vegas. Uh, I got to know him really well. He was uh, much like Howie Mandel. He was a germaphobe. And uh, like uh, there was one day that he had a bottle of water backstage. I accidentally bumped it with my hand. It hit the floor. I caught it before it hit the floor. I handed it to him and he went, no, no, uh, just throw it away. I'll, I'll get a new one. He just, he was that much of a germaphobe. No, Dan touched up. So he was, he was very much a, that kind of person. Uh, when he was on tour, he was very nervous. And so they were giving him medication to calm him down. And the, the night before they were to open there in Australia, uh, they were all drinking. And he would, had mixed the medication with alcohol. And it oh. did a number on him so that he was just out of his mind. And so he ended up climbing over. And he fell to his death uh, off the balcony there, and all he That's fell. So sad on so many levels. Hey, oh, very tragic his passing, but yeah, I, I, I also find it also sad, genuinely sad, and I don't mean this in a way that is being critical of someone who's passed away. That he also had a. He used to have the website celebrityhypnotist.com. I know because I looked into buy. I, a company tried selling it me after his death um, because sure. my YouTube channel is celebrity hypnotist. So hence, there you go. Looking sure. for someone to sell to, and he also did hypnotherapy and he did sold hypnotherapy programs uh, and stuff. And I find it really sad that someone who was selling such things to the general public hadn't sorted their own shit out yeah yeah unfortunately he um it, it, it was he was a very complicated man but a very sweet guy he really was and uh he he really taught me quite a bit 
I also took lessons from Ray Thompson, who is a local Iowa. Oh yeah, right, right, yeah. Ray, um, unfortunately, Ray passed away uh, here a few years ago. Uh, He's no longer with us anymore. Uh, But Ray, I'd know Ray for quite a few years and all. And I, I hate to say it, but and again, I don't like speaking ill of the dead either and all. But uh, I learned what not to do as a hypnotist studying underneath Ray. Um, one of the things that Ray did, and I, I do it comically, I love him to death. God rest his soul. He was a great guy. He really was and all. Uh, he had me uh, assist him for a couple of after proms uh, where they lock the kids in late at night and we do hypnosis shows. Yeah. I know it's it's a big market here in America. And um, so I went to assist him at these shows and he tells some girl, he says, and, and he, 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 he talked like this, you get excited and you detect thing on and he says uh, to this girl he says now uh, uh, the person i'm touching now when you when you hear me say texas when you hear me say texas uh you're going to find the nearest bald-headed man nearest bald-headed man you're going to run up and you're going to love his bald head you're going to rub your hands all over his bald head you oh you love a bald head anytime you hear me say texas you're going to this is a okay all right and and and, and, and sleep there you go all right and and everyone eyes open wake up and uh yeah you know I, I i'm originally from texas and this girl jumped up and she starts in this is about 35 40 minutes into his show he is nothing but sweat so she's rubbing her hands all over this bald sweaty head and he's standing there and he's in the mic looking at everyone and he goes oh yeah oh yeah this feels great huh hey, i bet you fellers wish you were me <laughs> yeah oh man i tell you what this is this is so nice bet you fellers wish you were me it was kind of creepy that he's got this 16 year old girl rubbing on his head and he's this older bald-headed guy uh-huh. you know wish you were me and he says oh well i i you know, we gotta i'm gonna bring her out of it now let's see on the count of three oh, which i bet you fellers wish you were me here we go one <laughs> two two and a half Oh, I forgot. I have to start again. What? And she's still rubbing away and all. This just goes forever. Mm. And finally goes, uh, three. And she goes, oh, oh. And she's looking at her hands. And he, that there, that there is the sweetest smelling perfume you've ever smelled in your life. And you want to rub it all over your body. And she goes, oh. This 16-year-old kid, and she's rubbing his sweat all over her face, her body. And and I'm going, I mean, the parents and I are in the back. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way. And he goes, yeah, 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 that great. That great. Yeah. He did it both shows that night, mm-hmm. both after proms. And I was like, that, no, no, don't no, get me wrong. no, 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 no. I've done routines equally as bad. But sure, with adults sure. over 18s, exactly. Exactly. As closed doors, know your market. That, know exactly. your market. Yeah. Know your market. Know your demographics. And I was like, oh, Lord, no, no. So again, I learned a lot of what not to do watching Ray. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, the last one was Mark Savard. I took Mark's class okay. uh, here yeah. in Vegas, there or there in Vegas. And uh, I didn't really learn a whole lot from Mark. Uh, I, I idolized the hell out of him and all uh, before and there and all. But uh, uh, the, the problem I had with this course, it was very expensive, thousands and thousands of dollars. And uh, there was 99 of us in the class. And 
the, the uh, hypnotherapy kept coming up and I have no interest in hypnotherapy. I know that people say, oh, to be a good hypnotist, you really need to know hypnotherapy. You really should do this, that, and the other thing. And all. I've studied enough that I can watch for the, the, the signs of things that would problems, that type of thing and all. But I'm a comedy hypnotist. That's all I want to do is a comedy hypnosis show. I don't want to cure people. I don't want to help them. Uh, doing my tours, I'm 500 pounds, and I had people come up going, can you help me lose weight? And I would stand there and go, Seriously? Seriously? I know I, it's I, mental, but the entire hypnotherapy industry, is, well, not the entire, but there's so many people in the industry that are overweight, and yet they're offering weight loss. Or exactly. I don't, therapists. Yeah. Were, yes. I have, I, uh, in my show, uh, Dr. Scott was very kind to me. Now he said, listen, I'll give you all of my uh, self-help CDs, and you can oh. sell them after your shows when you travel. And I said, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And he said, why? And I said, because I, I have studied it. I've studied what you do and what you do with other people and so forth and all. It's great. But in order for it to work, like let's say quit smoking, they've got to listen to it every night that they go to bed. They have to, they buy the CD for $50. They go to sleep listening to it. 20 minutes later, they're out cold and it's subconsciously in their mind. But they have to have that refreshed constantly. Mm -hmm. You can't just listen to it once and now for the rest of your life, you're going to be cured it, it doesn't you have to constantly be re-hypnotized and re into it and all to keep it a strong thing in you and uh, i said if i sell a 50 dollars cd at one of my comedy club shows and six months later i come back to that comedy club that guy that bought it listened to it for three or four days and then threw it in a drawer and never listened to it again He's smoking. When I come back six months later, he's going to go, that guy's an asshole and he's a con artist because he sold me a tape for 50 bucks and it doesn't work. I'm still smoking. So he's not a good hypnotist. And I went, I don't want that reputation. So it's not worth the $50 in my pocket to ruin my reputation as a comedy hypnotist. So I would rather sell t-shirts, hats, other funny things and all that I can sell than make my money back for house sales and not have to deal with hypnotherapy. Every city I went to, I would immediately look up the local hypnotherapist. I'd write down their name. If anyone came up to me after the show, hey, can you help me? No, I don't do that. But you know, locally, here's this guy. Why don't you call? I don't know him, but call him up. He's a hypnotherapist. He's local here, blah, 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 or she. And uh, so I would promote that when I but did when you start, when when you did the training with the intention of that way, just the one case, one costume, as it were. Was it always the intention to do it in drag? Yes. And the reason was because I, again, I'm a business guy and I looked at the market. There is a uh, hundreds and hundreds of guys doing hypnosis, comedy hypnosis shows, hundreds of them. How can I stand out? Well, how many female impersonators? Were there? Well, there was one in England, you. And I, I look up your tapes and what you were doing over in England and I'm going, okay, I can do that here in America because there's no one else doing this in America. And I'll do my spin on to it. I use props. I have edited music. Well, I'm damn sure. I, I I know for a fact without, well, I have seen some video clips, but I know for a fact without having seen your show live that you will have done it better than me in drag. I don't, I don't think because better, but drag, I think we have two different, different ways. I've got... When it comes to drag, my, 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 my foray into that, for viewers and listeners who may not know about my brief escapades as Mesmeralda, 
um, was great that, name. Uh, um, thank, it wasn't my idea. Um, I love the stage it. Hip, the stage hypnotist Peter Powers, who um, is at TV shows galore in England and Europe and uh, Australia. He sure. back in. 1993, January 93, we were on Channel 4's cult TV show, The Word Together, and doing a battle of the hypnotist thing. I was just 17 at the time. Peter was fast approaching 30, I think, back then. And he mentioned to me, as he kindly drove me home from London, so that we could both pocket the money they'd given us in cash to go and pay for our hotel. Well, we didn't show up at the hotel. He said, I'm going back. Do you want to come back? in the car and we'll pocket the cash anyway that's a side tale as we're driving back he said um yeah i once um i, I was invited to a vicars and tarts party once so he, he apparently had gone along with his wife she'd gone as the vicar he'd gone as the tart and mm -hmm. he, because he'd worked with drag acts he he, he he went to the full extreme and he said he briefly thought about doing a drag Queen Hypno Show, sure. and it, and he was going to use the name Mesmeralda. And it. I love it. Ultimately, um, years went by and he didn't do it, and he became quite deservingly so because of his original uh, originality. He became very well positioned in TV shows around the world, and Peter Powers is Peter Powers. He sure, doesn't need sure. to do anything else. Yeah. So, yeah. um. I, I I apologize wholeheartedly to Peter if he sees. I have <laughs> I have I've spoke to Peter since. Okay, sure, I've seen sure. Peter since. Um, I communicated with Peter even just a couple of years ago to help him sort out something in relation to um, putting to group smoking cessation events together that he was doing in uh, Australia. So he 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 will know. That I sure. went ahead in 2001 when I was 26, 48 now, so 22 years ago. Yeah. The TV company was filming my bizarre comedy show in uh, Amsterdam. Um, it was suggested, why didn't I do sure. um, drag it? No, as part of it, because the person, the director said, we will have this storyline where you're searching for your twin sister in Amsterdam and obviously the twin How sisters. Fun. Me. Fun. Yeah. And I'd That's work great. with drag acts and I'd work with really top class UK drag acts. Many of you are no longer with us. Um, with them, which yeah. I don't know if you'll have ever heard of them, but Frank Fufu Lamar was a legendary Manchester drag queen. Okay. Um, Miss Bonnie Lewis. Again, these are people who were big in the club circuit in the sure. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and passed yeah. away. But long story cut short, I, as a drag queen, was absolutely dire. Now, ironically, it didn't matter too much for the life in the bus lane, surreal set in Amsterdam comedy TV series, which people can see on my Celebrity Hypnotist YouTube channel or MagicalGuru.com. It didn't matter for that because it kind of almost worked for that and looked like it had been done on purpose. But the truth is it looked that bad because it was that bad. <laughs> <Is> that <right? laughs> I love it.
I love it. So we did we did the TV thing, and I've done a couple of live venues I did do after that. And then the drag kind of stopped, although for the right money, I would have done it again. Until around, yeah. um, until late, I made some notes before, because until late 2008, October 2008, thereabouts, to be precise, mm -hmm. judging by my Facebook post. And I mentioned that because if ever the British drag queen Tess Tickle of testtickle.com sees this. Testtickle.com on her site says that Tess Tickle was created in June 2009. Well, they may have independently come up with that, but in 2008, I can most assuredly tell you that Tess Tickle was the drag name that I was going to be doing a double act with Lady Sapphire Dior sure. in England. Um, and Lady Sapphire Dior is someone who I then taught how to do the hypnosis, who right. then in late 2008 started doing the live drag hypnosis. Um completely irrelevant really to our conversation other than I wanted to throw that in on the subject of drag hypno uh, they're not yeah. a hypnotist testicle is not a hypnotist it's just a drag queen use the name I'm not quite freely with my blessing but just be aware it was devised by Lady Sapphire Dior for me to do a double act with her in uh, 2008 um, okay. that's my so drag wise wow. I yeah, bizarrely, just got chucked in at the deep end, and we we got a wig, got the dress. People can see yep. that on the video, and it was as bad as it. It wasn't. It just <laughs> okay. was that bad. Okay. Well, the one okay. thing I knew I could do was an X-rated adult hypno show because I've been doing it for years, right. and I knew I could handle an audience. And I'd worked in a whole bunch of rough gay venues and sure. straight venues, sure. every type of venue. Sure. So I wasn't scared. Yeah. So it was just doing that. With I just kind of, other than introducing myself as mesmerized and slightly camping it up, there's nothing I like more in my entrance and a warm hand. And, you know, um, I find myself, because of that director's idea, suddenly in a place called the Queen's Head, uh, the, one of the most notorious, famous, drag bars in Amsterdam sure. that was founded in 1998 by Dusty I can never say his name so I'll have to write it down <laughs> Dusty Gazanovic okay. who was um, one of the judges on drag race in the Netherlands in 2021 I got dumped in there by this TV company and they said right do your show as Mesmeral do a film it and then we'll put the clips into the and I went out, and I'd never done drag prior to that day. Oh, wow. I'd, wow. And I'd certainly not done the hypno show in drag. And the first sure. time I'd ever actually walked around for any period of time in high heels was yep. that same day, earlier that day, when we'd be filming location shots around Amsterdam. Sure. So it was sure. a ba baptism of fire. A big time. So, um, yeah, so that's how I can so confidently say wow. I guarantee seeing you live, I would have been seeing a far better drag performance. <laughs> well, I um, I I have to tell you, I um, I think all those doors in that hallway that I've opened up and gone through, 
has helped me with the drag hypnosis, comedy hypnosis show. Uh, thanks to all my years working with animals. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, when you're working with a sea lion or a bird or a monkey, a tiger, when, when you work with those animals, they don't speak English. No. And so, and if you're on stage and you've got to work with an animal, you don't know what they're going to do. But your job as entertainer is to make the show entertaining to whatever that animal's doing. Uh, I'll give you an example. I did a bird show with, I had a bird that slid down a 40 foot rope, piece of rope, down to a cup tied at the end of the rope that was dangling that far from the stage floor. So the bird could just hop off, but the bird would come out of a little door onto his perch and he'd slide all the way down. He'd get the peanut out of that cup and then climb all the way back up that rope. And as he's climbing up that rope, it took him a bit to climb it and all. I would be talking about the history of blue and gold macaws. They're from South America. This here's Pete. Mm -hmm. Pete is da 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 da. And one day in front of an audience of 5,000, I'm doing this bird show. This bird slides down as he's done every show. He gets the peanut. He's climbing up. And I'm, it, it's timing. You know, you just, it's, you, you're saying the patter and, you know, I've got just enough words. So that when he gets to the top, goes in the door, we're done and we move on. He gets up and he's literally eye level with me and he stops hanging on that rope and just stares at me. And I'm looking at him and I thought, in my mind, as I'm saying the words, I thought, I better stop. Otherwise, if I say all the patter, he's, we're going to be standing here with dead space going, I'm just waiting yeah. for him to climb this rope. And I went, so he beat it. Uh, oh, <laughs> You know, folks, and again, this is off the top of my head. I didn't have anything planned. I just pulled it down my butt and went there. I said, you know, folks, a lot of people ask us, how do you get the bird to stay on the rope? And the answer is quite simple. We use polygrip. Now, polygrip is what people use for their teeth. It's yeah. a product. So I don't know if they sell it there or not. No. And yeah, 5,000 people busted out laughing. And the bird went whoop, and went started climbing. And I went, and he's from South America. Da, 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 and it went right along with it and all. So it's improv with animals. And I really feel that working with as a hypnotist, when you've got volunteers, I never call them subjects, when you have volunteers on stage, they're in a trance, they're doing the things you don't know what they're going to do. You, you can direct them. You can kind of give them an idea of where you want them to go. But they're each coming up with their own vision of what that suggestion is. And as a good entertainer, we should be able to watch them and go, oh, I can go this way with it or I can go that way with it. Um, I had one bit where I uh, had a lighter uh, during a, a voodoo doll type thing, very common. And I put it underneath their feet and they got hot feet. And I, I'm on stage at Six Flags. I've got 20 people all going, ow, 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 ow. And one kid hit the floor, put his hands together, and started rolling back and forth on the floor. And I looked at him, and I started laughing. And I knew what he was doing. Because here in America, we had a program that pushed a lot in the grade schools and elementary schools of uh, stop, drop, and roll. If you get on fire, oh, you right. drop, okay. and roll. Yeah. And... So this guy, when he saw the fire under the foot, he didn't feel the pain. He stopped, dropped, and rolled. And I started laughing, and I said, folks, 
he's stopping, dropping, and rolling. That's and they're all like, oh, okay, I, you know, that's great. Now you okay, you're you're out of fire. You're fine. You're you're not on fire. You're good. So again, you have to be able to work with what's given to you. Um, on an, on a, a, an odd hypnotic note type thing and all, I'm at Six Flags. I in Six Flags parks, I don't do it in drag. I do it as myself. And uh, excellent uh, because I was going to ask you. Um, and I had you done it as yourself, and therefore, what differences you find, if any, between doing a hypnosis show as a man or a mm-hmm. hypnosis show as the female character in, in me? Because yeah, I definitely, I personally did notice some differences. Did you? I don't. I don't find that many differences at all. Uh, because again, going back to the circus days, to me, it's clown makeup and a clown costume, wig and makeup, and so forth. I didn't necessarily mean so much from my point of view. I mean, perhaps. Well, oh, it's from my how... point of view perception. I found, and maybe it's because it was specifically in a gay drag venue where I was thrown in at the deep end. Maybe it was venue specific, highly likely. But I found that. Well, if I compare that specifically yes. to yes. when yes. I performed yes. as Jonathan yes. or Alex as a yeah. man in gay venues, yeah. I found it easier in the drag to get them under. Oh, um, sure, sure. And it can be, and all. It, I think it depends too on the age. And I think that a lot of the uh, gay bars, comedy clubs, they're, I'm going to say in their mid 20s to their mid 30s. Gay bars are primarily 21 to 26 is the age range. Uh, People generally after 26, 27, they're like, okay, I'm done drinking. I've got a life to live. I've got it. So they aren't at the bar so much. uh, It might might be in America. I mean, this place, certainly. I mean, I'd say the average age range was probably more from 25 to mid 50s. Really? In the gay bars? Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, no, I, I they, we do have older people that come to the gay bars, but primarily, for the most part, they're all younger kids. And then you have all the new kids that once they hit twenty-one, oh, I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to go to the bar. And I, I, I'm sure you've noticed. Uh, do they have after proms or or prom or uh, grad nights there? Or they not? do. They do in the UK version at the end of year grad grad night, but okay. it, it, happened, night. it starts earlier and it's sure. ended, and people have left the venue before 11 o'clock at night. There's none of this being locked in overnight. Wow. And there's definitely no comedy hypnotist going messing with kids' minds. Oh, really? I mean, no no offence to anyone who does it, but personally, I think nobody under the age of 18 should be hypnotised in a hypnosis Really? Really? Because there is genuine potential dangers and long-term fuck-ups you can leave in people's heads unknowingly if you get them doing stuff, especially in the kid years of like seven to puberty. Right. Yeah. 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 I agree. Where with you they, agree they with you appear yeah. to be happy doing it at the time, but that's because they don't want to look stupid, not right. doing it. But inwardly, right. that can be causing psychological impact that stays there and causes it sticks down with the them. Line. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I um uh, when I do Six Flags, they told me they Six Flags is a family theme park. And uh, they tell me, they said, any age, you know, we have other hypnotists that do all ages. It's fine. And I said, wow. nope. I, I, I 16 and older is all I'll do. And they said, why? And I says, because to see an eight-year-old 
act like an eight-year-old is not funny. It's not entertaining. No. To see a well, as well. Yeah. Yeah. To see a 58-year-old act like an eight-year-old, that's funny. That that's that'll sell. That's funny. So I'm we'll go 16 more. and older. And uh, uh, the the high school after proms, they're all 16, 17, 18 years old. But like shooting fish in a barrel, they're so they they go down in trance. And I swear you can blow on them and they're down. You know yeah. they'll they'll go. Uh, as far as the difference between Six Flags or a family show as opposed to the uh, makeup show where I'm in makeup and costume, um, I do more of an adult show for that. And so there is a difference between those two quite a bit and all because of the things, the, the skits I have them do. Uh, in the adult show, I have uh, talking uh, vagina, uh, you know, where their coochie's talking. And then yeah. the guy sitting next to him, you understand, you speak fluent coochie. So every time it, I say this trigger word, you're going to come tell me what I'm saying. So I basically do my my family show, but I throw in a few of those things because my family show I know is strong and I know it's entertaining. You know, just like in comedy, you don't have to be blue to be funny. It's harder not to be blue to be funny. It's harder not to drop the F-bombs and so forth and all in a comedy club. But if you can get away with being completely clean in a comedy club and still have them, oh, my God, he's so funny. It was great. Then you're doing a great job with that and all. And I know I could do my family show for an adult show and they'd all walk away going, that was a great show. It was fantastic. Blah, blah, blah. So I know I can get away with it. It's fine that way and all. Uh, as far as the drag thing back and forth and all, uh, uh, I, I, I wear low-cut dresses. I can push my fat up and make really nice boobs, if you will. And I've had many in drag. I've had many guys stand just staring at my boobs. And I'm like, okay, my eyes are up here. Viewers, listeners, mm -hmm. simply Google Steve Daly, drag hypnotist. Boom. Yeah, and you'll see. You'll see the pictures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'll see. Yeah, it's a, it's just an act. It's just an act. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't like being dressed up. Trust me, it's a, uh, it's, it's work. Uh, but I'm okay with it. Uh, going back to another story though, with Six Flags and all, I'm in a thousand seat indoor theater, uh, family show. Twenty people are all on stage. They're all under. It's about twenty five, thirty minutes into the show. I'm at one end of the stage, putting into a. Uh, uh, volunteers uh, a suggestion and this guy 56 years old flops out of his chair now i'm one of those safety guys i'm i'm big on safety safety is my number one issue i'm three steps ahead of everything in my show no one's going to get hurt in my show and no one ever has i don't like floppers people love to watch people and they flop and hit the floor that's so dangerous. They could, you know, neck, the arms could break, anything could happen. Yeah. So I don't, they stay in their chairs. If they flop out, I don't want them on stage because you're just, you're not paying attention. You're not, you're not doing well. This guy flops out. And I had, I've never had floppers, especially at Six Flags St. Parks, never. And this thousand people went, oh, as he hit the floor. And I went, oh, we have a flopper. And that got a big laugh. Huh. I walked over to him, tapped him on the shoulder, and I said, okay, buddy, back in your chair. He rolls over and he goes, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. He's having a heart attack. I've oh, got shit. a guy having a heart attack in the middle of my show with a mm. thousand people, family members. And I'm going, oh, crap. Uh, I'm very calm. Yeah. I've learned you have to be calm. My, uh, thank God, my uh, uh, sound and light girl is a registered nurse. So within seconds, she's already called the park uh, ET, uh, 
medical folks. And then she's come up on the stage. She's rolling him on his left-hand side. She's rubbing his back. She says, you're going to be fine. Everything okay. I take the other 19 people. I have them all stand up, come over stage right. He's over stage left. Get them all stage right into a huddle standing. Put the mic under my armpit. And I do my quick bringing them up out of their trance. You're wide awake. Everything's fine. You feel good. That's great. Take the mic and I send him back to the audience. I said, folks, for the safety of everyone and out of respect to this gentleman and his family, uh, we're having a medical issue. We're going to ask everyone to calmly, please stand up. Don't run. Don't scream. Don't just calmly walk out of the theater. And our next show's in an hour and a half. Come on back and we'll do another show. But we're going to have to end the show here. They all calmly got up and left. Uh, the paramedics came in. The wife, funny, the wife comes up on stage. She's got her purse dangling from her her elbow and she's laughing she goes oh he's fine he's fine he does this all the time he's fine he's okay and it's so surreal because this guy's going and i'm like this guy's gonna die on my stage and she's laughing going he's fine i thought okay there's got to be a big insurance policy or something else she's like let him go you know i don't know they get him loaded up on the gurney thing they wheel him out he survived everything was fine he did have a heart attack but he's fine and uh, the park president came up to me and he says, Stephen, I need to talk to you. So we sat down on stage there and on a chair and he says, I have to commend you. He says, uh, of course, being in the park business, we have people die at the park all the time. You know, it's not a known thing and it's not that common, but it does happen from time to time. And uh, when it does, he says, we end up having to hire psychologists to work with families because of the death and the, you know, the people seeing death and seeing accidents. And he says, people are screaming and it's just a big mess. He says, I come running up here when I heard on the on the walkie talkie, he says, I come running up here expecting to see a thousand people running out of this theater screaming and crying. He says, they're walking out calmly with their masks going, OK, where do you want to go? Should we go ride this? OK, let's go ride that. He says, you I, you handled it perfectly. And I said, well, thank you. And he, and he says, and I know you want this. And I handed him the, uh, the CD because we record every show and print them. And then I sell CDs after the show. Yeah. And, and I, I handed him, I says, this is the original and this is for you. And he says, thank you. He's, I didn't even have to ask. And I said, no, I says, I know you don't want it out there. You don't want footage of someone having a heart attack on stage at the park out no. for the public so i says here's the original it's yours done i get it now of course for my insurance policies i kept a copy for myself there's no way in hell i'm gonna get you know of course no of course exactly so i and as far as he's concerned and he broke the, the cd right there in front of me and he says it's gone and i said yep that's it that's the only copy but I have my copy for me and all, you know, of course, no one will ever see. So uh, things do happen with the parks and all, but uh, I've been voted Six Flags Theme Parks number one comedy hypnotist now for 14 years. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, the, 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 we do post-hypnotic suggestions. And one of the, my first night in Six Flags St. Louis uh, was a Friday night. I did uh, three shows and, uh, the last thing I would send as a post-hypnotic suggestion was I would tell everyone, okay, for the rest of the night, until you walk through the gates of the park to go home, every single time you hear anyone say, boo, you're going to yell, I love Six Flags as loud as you can. You'll do that over and over and over and all night long. Anytime you hear anyone say, boo, you're going to yell, I love Six Flags as loud as you can. When you walk through the gates to go home, it goes away and you'll never say it again. 
And uh, the next day, Saturday morning, I do my first show. There's nine suits, bigwigs from the park standing against the back wall. And uh, the the sound and light girl comes backstage. She says, wow, you've got nine suits back here. They never come to the shows ever. And the fact they're here is just amazing. She says, so watch yourself because they're, they're, they're watching for you. And I went, okay. So I do the show show gets done. All nine of them come up on stage after everyone's left shaking my hand saying, Oh my God, you're fantastic. And well, thank you. I appreciate that. I said, uh, uh, can I ask why you came to my show? Cause I hear you don't go to shows. And they said, well, Last night, we couldn't understand why all of our park guests was yelling, we love Six Flags. We're, we're baffled with this. Where the hell did this come from? And one of our ride operators says, I think it's your hypnotist is making people do this. So we had to come see it for ourselves. This is amazing. So, you know, that's great. And they said, uh, uh, you know, the fact that they, they said we were a little upset that you wouldn't do any age. But we get it. We understand now that, you know, an eight-year-old acting like an eight-year-old is not here. Your show's very funny. It's very fast-paced. I do about 27 to 30 skits inside of 40 minutes. It's very fast-paced uh, with music, props. Uh, boom, 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 boom. It goes really quick. And it, everything kind of goes from one thing into another. Um, so I says, well, if I can, I'd like to introduce something next weekend that I'll keep with me now for Six Flags Parks only. And they said, what's that? And I said, it's a hypno wand. I said, uh, and it will involve younger audience members. I wasn't going to tell anyone this, but I'm going to tell you this anyway. Now it's fine. Because uh, I know hypnotists will go, ooh, I'll sell that. I'll take that and I'll do it myself. Fine, go do it. I don't care. If it makes you money, that's great. But if you're even going to think of doing it for you as listeners, and when I was much, much, much younger, and I mean going back to like 1993 time, yeah, I nick gag ideas off Cam Webster, off Peter Powers, uh, 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 and whatnot. Um, but years on, I have to their faces apologised for doing such. Um, and I've also then come up with ideas of my own that I've then seen other people nick, and I now know what it would what it felt like to them. So. And also since then, there's been the odd thing I've seen, for example, people do, and I, I've gone to them and gone, you know, I love that gag. I, I'd probably do it ever so slightly differently just because, A, sure. then it's slightly different from you doing it, but would it be okay if I did it this way? Would it be okay? And sure. if they say no, then no. But if they say yes, and you'll often find if you actually ask, yep. more yep. often than not, You'll get permission. Right. All I ask is you give credit where credit's due. So if you do use this, you know, don't don't say, oh, I came up with this myself. Please throw the credit where it goes, you know, that I and I want everyone to do this. It's fine. That's great. Do it. Uh, it's a way to make extra money when you're doing family shows. Uh, so here in America, we have a thing called Dollar Tree. It's just a dollar store, dollar that sells mm -hmm. items for 99 cents. Now it's $1.25. But they were selling a, a pointer stick. It's a plastic cartoon white gloved hand that's pointing like this on a black or red oh, yeah. or blue plastic stick yeah. that the, elementary kids use to point. In I, in England, if so, yeah, it's like in that hand thing, but instead of this being an arm, this is the stick. Um, right. In, UK shop called Poundland, which is kind of the UK equivalent. Um, they've had those type of things on sale in there, yeah. 
Sure. Are they and they are around a dollar American? What would that be? One pound sterling UK money is current exchange rate, roughly one dollar twenty-five. Right. Yeah, American. So it's about a dollar, then about one pound, then your time too, though. So I would buy these from Dollar Tree, these gloved hands like that and all. And before the show, we would sell them for five dollars each with a voiceover saying, if you're under the age of 16 and you'd like to be part of the show, get a hypno wand and you might be part of the show for just $5. You can be possibly part of the show, get a hypno wand. So we were selling, I mean, cases and cases, thousand people per show. I was selling cases of these things and making $4 profit off each one that we sold. Nice. Great money. I averaged thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars in back of house sales off these wands for a five weekend five weekend session. So in five weekends now I could easily make that kind of money. Uh so what I would do is in the middle of the show, I've got all of my volunteers, they're all, you know, in a trance. I've got them all with their eyes open. And I would look at the eyes, I'd say, Okay, hey, I need some help. Where are my kids with the hypno wands? And we play this little kitty, dun 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 dun. And here comes all these kids down to the stage. I say, Everyone, don't come on stage, just stand right here in the front edge of the stage. That's great. And I would find the smallest one, let's say a little four-year-old girl. Come on up here. What's your name? Susie. Susie, that's great, Susie. Everyone listen close. Pay attention. Susie, you have a hypno wand. So do all of you kids. You all have hypno wands too. Now when I ask you to, I'm going to have you point the hypno wand at someone on stage. Everyone on stage, these kids had hypno wands. When a kid points it at you, you'll instantly drop into a deep, relaxing sleep thanks to the hypno wand. So, Susie, you're the first one. Go ahead, knock somebody out. And so she'd point. Well, because of the distance, two people sitting side by side would go together. Always got a laugh. And I'd say, oh, you got two of them. <laughs> Way to go. Give me five. That's great. I'd have her go stand with all the other kids. I said, okay, all right, all the kids, when I count to three, knock them all out. Everyone just knock them down. You ready? One, two, three. Boom, 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 boom. And everyone's going down in their chairs because all these different pointers getting pointed at them. And I'd say, that's it. You did a great job. Thank you for helping me. Turn around, take a big bow. All this applause is for you. And they take a bow and they walk out. Parents are like, oh, my. I sold DVD, uh, yeah, DVDs of the show afterwards because their kid was in the show doing that with a $5 Dollar Tree stick. Okay, great. Uh, as they went back to their seats, I'd say, you know, you folks, I said, uh, 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 kids, now listen, when you get home tonight, your parents can take the hypno wand. They'll point at you. You'll drop into a deep sleep too. And everyone, the parents would laugh. And I'd say, you know, for some reason, I sell more of these hypno wands after the show than before the show. I don't know why. And they got another laugh. And people would come up. I'd have grandparents going, I need four of them. Please. Thank you. And we'd sell them. Like, uh, like I said, they just sold like hotcakes and all. Uh, a funny thing with Six Flags, the uh, first weekend I did that, the head of marketing who had been with Six Flags for 22 years, comes up, little short guy, and he's spitting mad. And he gets in my face and he says, you can't sell these. How dare you sell those? And I said, what do you mean? How dare you sell? He says, you're selling Mickey Mouse hands. We're Six Flags. How dare you sell a Mickey Mouse hand in Six Flags? Okay, I'm a very calm man, but if someone gets in my face, I get upset. And so I put my foot between his two feet. I got right up in his face. And I said, how long have you worked for Six Flags? And he says, I, 22 years, merchandising. 
And I says, I'm going on 45 years of working for this company. And I find it interesting because you see, and I held one of the pointers up. I said, Mickey Mouse on the back of his glove has three black stripes. This pointer doesn't have three black stripes. This glove belongs to Bugs Bunny, our character for Six Flags. And Bugs Bunny doesn't have three black lines. This is Bugs's hand. I find it very interesting that a man who's worked for us for 22 years sees Mickey Mouse on a Bugs Bunny hand. That is amazing to me. And he goes, he walked away. I never saw the man again. He never came to me. He never bothered me. That was it. So again, you have to know your market. You have to know your stuff that way and all, you know, but it, but it made me great money. So hypno wands, I, I have since I couldn't get those anymore and all I found, you know what a, a Chinese yo-yo is? It's the paper that's all rolled up on a stick and you flick it and it extends out and comes back. A Chinese oh, really? yo-yo. Chinese yo-yo. So it's just paper that's rolled up on a, yeah. a stick, like a, a lollipop stick. And yeah. when you flick your wrist, the rolled paper unrolls out and comes back. It'll yeah. roll back in. I'd look it up. You'll see it. It's called a, a Chinese yeah, yo-yo. They make them, they're like uh, six inches long or so and all. I found them that were 18 inches long and durable, really nice. So they were 36 cents a piece, 36 cents for this toy. It isn't just a stick. Now you flick it and it goes out three feet and comes back. It's a toy. So I replaced the finger with the Chinese yo-yo at 36 cents for $5 each, making even more money. And flicking it, now people are wanting it because it's a toy, not just a stick. It's a toy that they can flick. And I said, it's a magic wand. Flick it, and they go down. Same routine. Kids come up, flick, boom. But now they got this toy. They can flick the thing, take home with them and all. So it makes, I'm all about merchandising. I'm all, I would write all of my shows as almost infomercials for the parks because I'd buy different things to sell. And then I'd work them into the skits of the show and sell them. So, yeah, that's a uh, that's that's thank six you lines. For sharing that. Thank you for yes. sharing everything, Steve. We no, just, thank you. I know we've gone a long well, time. Three, I'm so sorry. I don't apologize. I was about to apologize to you. I've just looked at the clock, and we, we've been going yeah. three hours. So I'm going to have to kind of bring this to an end. I tell you what, it has yeah. been a joy, a pleasure. I've, oh, it's been, my pleasure. It's been educational you, because I love mad. As you know, my I also have a background in magic, and so it's just hearing the stories of some of the famous names that are sadly no longer with us, right? As well as um, some of those that are still with us. Yes, um, yep. interesting circumstance. Some amazing stories and tales and yeah. some bloody fantastic advice and gold nuggets along the way. For anyone who watches this again or listens again and takes notes, even the stuff that's not hypno-related is hypno-related in terms of business, in terms of merchandising, in terms sure. of sure. audiences and the business side of stuff. So thank you so much for sharing. No, thank you. If I can, I'm going to leave you with one last quick story, if I can. Yeah, please. Yeah, uh, of and, course. And I'm going to throw a little plug in and all. I'm uh, yeah, I'm do. retired now. I retired from Las Vegas after 30 years, two shows a night, six nights a week. I retired, moved back to the family farm here in Altoona, Iowa, in the Midwest. Uh, I'm opening an indoor mini golf. 
that's themed after an old amusement park that used to be here in town called Riverview Park. Uh, we've got a 12-foot Ferris wheel, the Haunted House, Mary Mays, bumper cars, the Wild Mouse. It's all in miniature golf form and two birthday party rooms. I'll be opening that here in the next month, month and a half or so and all uh, in a 5,000-square-foot indoor uh, facility. Uh, I have written a book. I am putting together a new one-man show. Uh, the uh, I, I, the first book of four uh, I've already released. I released it a year and a half, two years ago, called TBSB. Uh, it is uh, uh, myself and three friends that I grew up with here in the Midwest, and it's my beginning, how I got into magic and all the funny stories that between my three friends, three magic friends and I, uh, which was Terry, Ben, uh, Steve and Bill. That's TBSB. That's what it all stands for. Uh, and uh, I sold those out quite a bit. Now, I've got a new book that I'm about to release here this fall called uh, Pinch Me. And uh, it's, uh, I, I, I have had, I've been blessed to be able to work with over 80 celebrities over the years uh, from Ella Fitzgerald to Jerry Lewis, Britney Spears, Paula Abdul. Uh, the list goes on and on. Louis Anderson, just a lot of different people in the entertainment business, celebrities and all that I've had a chance to work with, be with. And I tell all these different stories of all my interactions cool. with these folks and what's happened behind the scenes type things of what these people were like and so forth and all. Uh, then I'm releasing after that a book called uh, Magically Pinch Me. And it's all of the stories of how I got from Iowa to Las Vegas, uh, in a lot more in depth, uh, all the magicians that I've met over the years and backstories with all of them. Uh, including Chris Angel and all that. Uh, and then the fourth and final book is, I haven't got a title yet and all, but it's on my touring life. And it's all 18 years of touring all over the United States, Canada, Mexico. Uh, I performed in England in 1997 for The Changeover. I did a command performance for King Charles, uh, which back then was Prince Charles uh, and Margaret Thatcher. Uh, it was a show for them and the uh, Beijing government when England gave back China to them. Uh, they flew us our show, Showgirls Magic, over to England, and we did a command performance for them. Uh, I actually did the drawing board with King Charles. Oh, uh, they, cool. they told me not to. Don't don't touch them. Don't talk to them. Don't. And I went right for Prince Charles, and I went because he's got the big ears. It'll be funny on the board. Did It'll you, look good. And so did you I, do the character big ears? I did a caricature of Prince Charles on wow. stage and did the duet with Prince Charles, and he absolutely loved it. Uh, of course, we know he's he's dabbles in magic himself and all. So yeah. it was just yeah. it was just a nice moment for me, even though the Chinese gal was like cussing me out backstage, going, "I told you not to. I told you." Not. It's okay. It's all right. I did it. It's okay. Uh, but all those stories too, then and all. Uh, I'm writing a one-man show called uh, Boxes in My Closet. When I was a little boy, I always wanted to be either an animal trainer or a musician or an artist or a magician or a puppeteer. And so every week and a half, two weeks, I would decorate my room as a magician. I'd run around. I'm going to be a magician. I get bored with it put it all back in the box, put it in the closet, pull out another box and be all puppets. I'd walk around. I'm a puppeteer. I mean, so my ADA or whatever, I don't know what you call it. No, where you're very short, you know, squirrel, you know, type of thing. Uh, I, I, I was, I, I was always switching from thing to thing. So I'm writing this one man show called boxes in my closet, where I'll recreate some of my characters. I did and drag some of the other characters. I'll tell stories from these four books and then the back of house sales will be the four books that I'll be selling afterwards and all. That'll go out on tour in 2025-2026. So, yes, Are I'm the planning books, that. Will you be, and if you're not, yep. 
Either this is an answer to the question of yes or no, and if the answer is no, then my advice is what well, you should do. Um, <laughs> are you going to put the books out through uh, Amazon? I don't know yet. I don't know anything about that. I uh, the TBSB. Okay. I will I tomorrow. I will send you tomorrow because it's. Please do. I appreciate the help. in the morning here, but when I'm back up, I'll send you a link sure. tomorrow to how to get your book. Once I you've got your Word that. document, your PDF, how to get yep. it out published on sale via Amazon to every bookstore online Perfect. in the world. You're not the first to tell me that. Yes, I need to do that. You're right. I just they, don't know how to do it. They'll dispatch it, and because it's on their site, people will find it, and you'll sell yep. more ultimately. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I that's what I've been told. So... That's what I, so uh, I will wrap it up by telling you a quick story, a uh, funny story background and all, and you can have your pick. I'll let you pick. Uh, do you want to oh. hear about uh, an older comedian or a young pop star? Which one would you like to, I won't bore you with both. I'll just give you one of them. So which one would you like? Because of names you mentioned before that you uh -huh. work with. I've got this curiosity factor of who the young pop star might There you go. Be. All right. So I get a phone call on a Wednesday from a lady, and she says, my boss's husband is turning 27 tonight. And at Tao Nightclub in Las Vegas, which is a very high-end, celebrity-filled nightclub, uh, she's throwing a birthday party for him. I was working at the Sahara. Our show ended at 11 p.m. at the Sahara. She says, we'd like you at midnight do you still do the fat share routine? And I said, yes. I says, uh, she says, well, we'll give you $1,500 if you'll come do fat share for, and I says, it's a four minute number. And she says, that's fine. $1,500. Really? Do you want me to bring the midget? And she goes, but you have a midget? I said, yeah, I play Sonny Bono. How much is he? And I said, half price, $750 more. And she says, so $750 for him, $1,500 for you. We get Sonny and share four minutes. And I said, yep, she's your booked. I says, okay, great. So I call up the little guy and I say, okay, we're in, we're doing, you know, Sunny and Cher, we're going to do this. And all. Great. And I have no idea who, I don't care. It, it's just another show for me. It's a gig. I don't know who I'm performing for, but that's it. So we get there at about a quarter till 12, go up to this big dressing room. The owner of the club comes in with four big bodyguards and I'm talking big. There's like seven foot and, you know, and uh, they're all laughing because I'm 513 pounds and all done up in the share with a, you know, doing the whole thing. And he says, my God, if Cher weighed that 500 pounds, you'd look just like her. That's amazing. Amazing. I even have tattoos on my ass for this wow. thing and all because it's a fishnet body stocking that I'm wearing. And uh, so uh, I said, so who, who, who's the celebrity that we're doing this for? And uh, they said, it's a, a K-Fed. And I said, K-Fed. And I had no idea who K-Fed was. And I said, K-Fed, is that, is that a, a stock car racer? Because the stock car racing was big at that time. Mm -hmm. And he says, no, K-Fed. It's, it's a, a Kevin Kevin Federline. Fetter, ah. Kevin Federline. Is, is he a whale? I mean, does he gamble a lot? Is that why, you know, he's the big guy? That, and he goes, you probably recognize his wife. She's sitting next to him. She's the one that hired you, Britney Spears. And I went, I'm about to shake my 500-pound fat ass with tattoos in front of Britney Spears. Are Excellent. you kidding me? Oh, my God. And, there, and, and the guy was, the owner was very pissed off at me that I didn't even know who it was. And I says, I, I'm so sorry. I says, it's just a gig for me. I, I didn't run it. And he's sorry. 
So we go downstairs, they parted it like, you know, Noah part in the waters and uh, Moses part in the waters. And uh, uh, the voiceover, the DJ says, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Britney Spears has spared no expense for her husband, Kevin Federline's 27th birthday from Hollywood. She's flown in, share. And they started my song, If I Could Turn Back Time. And I come, if I could turn back time. I come out, they're sitting on a couch and they're rolling back and forth, <laughs> laughing and all. And then it blends into, I got you, babe. And out comes the midget. And they're laughing even harder. <laughs> and in this routine, we have it choreographed. Uh, he ends up pulling a giant pair of French cut panties out of my backside and all that. And he smells them like a, you know, type thing and all. He gets in front of me. I belly bump him. He went flying into uh, Kevin Federline's lap. Uh, and we get done with the number. Four minutes, we're done. They're applauding. And Brittany holds her hands out. And she goes, oh, I want a hug. I want a hug. And I went, yeah, I'm, I'm going to hug Britney Spears. Fuck yeah, yeah, of course I am. So I walked up to her and she scooted over. She patted the seat between me and Kevin. And she says, have a seat. It's right here. Have a seat with me. So I sit down. Now I've got Kevin on this side. I've got her on this side. Now, at, this, at the time, she was... Uh, she uh, was pregnant with her first child. No one knew if she was pregnant or not. And that was in all the gossip papers. Is she pregnant or not? Is she pregnant or not? The very next week, she went on David Letterman's show and announced she was pregnant with her first child. And so I'm, I'm sitting there next to her and she's like, you're so funny and you're just beautiful. And, blah, 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 blah. and I'm looking, Kevin has all this booze sitting on a table in front of him. She's got water, nothing but bottles of water. And I thought she is. And she says, may I have a photo with you? And I says, please, I would, I'm, thank you. Yes. I put my hand on Kevin's shoulder. The little guy is uh, sitting next to Kevin on the other side. I put my arm around Britney Spears and I got my hand around her stomach and I went boom, boom with my hand, boom, boom. And she, her face went boom and looked right at me and we're just nose to nose. And I said, you are, aren't you, sweetheart? Very quiet. And she looks at me and she says, Yes, but please don't tell anybody. And I says, well, I saw you're drinking water, so I assumed you were. And I says, that's good. She says, well, I want to be a good mommy. And I says, that's what good mommies do. You're doing a great job. She says, oh, you're so sweet. We took the photo. She gave me another hug, another kiss, and I left. 20 minutes later, I was out of makeup, sitting in an all-night cafe, eating a two ninety nine steak and egg breakfast, going, you know what? I was just hugging Britney Spears and kissing her like 20 minutes ago. What a fucking life. This is amazing. No, that's right now. So that's um, that's that's how it worked out. That's wow. So that's one of many stories that'll be in the pinch me book, Uh, and it's it's uh, and I've got the I've got the photo. If you want me to send it to you of Brittany and Kevin and I all sitting together, so I'll be more than happy to send you that if you'd like. Yeah. Wow. Excellent. There you go. Once again, thank you so much thank for you. your time. Sorry, it went for so long. I, 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 I apologize. Sorry, I have so much gold in there, both educational and highly entertaining as well. I hope we get to meet physically in person. Me too. Me too. I want to come back to England so bad. I want to come see you folks again and all. I just I absolutely loved it. Your country, beautiful. Absolutely love it. Can't say enough good things about it. Well, thank you once again. And viewers and listeners, please like this video or the podcast, make comments below, share it far and wide. And below this, whether it's the video or audio version, you will see links to uh, videos that will be on YouTube that I'm sending you to where you can go and see uh, Tiny Bubbles, Bonnie Bitch, Steve Daly, 
at work doing what he stroke she uh, does and has done best for many years and also of course links to uh, social media and whatnot will be there um, for any future bookings albeit that it seems that you have the most amazing ability of just it's I've been very lucky to be able to go from one thing to another and I do need to point out yeah. one last thing real quick and all that is I had gastric bypass surgery two and a half years ago I've dropped 250 pounds so far so if you see any photos of me now, I'm not like I was back then. And so don't be surprised if he's like, wait a minute, he was this big and now he's like, I don't get it. But it's, so. it definitely is. It definitely is you. It's him. It's him. <laughs> it's me. It's it me. I... Thank you so <laughs> Thank much, you everyone, so much. for tuning in. That's yes. been another amazing edition of Hypnosis Week. <laughs>